This is Unfiltered, episode 227 for March 1st, 2017. Unity is to be the theme tonight in the president's first address to a joint session of Congress. His audience will be Republicans and Democrats, top military commanders, members of the Supreme Court, and we the people, the whole Constitution under one dome. President Trump is expected to call for sharp increases in spending for defense and infrastructure. But if unity is to be the theme, it would be a fresh start for Mr. Trump, who has attacked powerful members of his own party, called federal judges dumber than a bad high school student, and declared the news media the enemy of the American people. Fresh off the State of the... Oh, no, they're not calling it the State of the Union. Uh, they're calling it the Joint Session Speech at Congress. Whatever. Welcome to Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase, and Chris, though, is over there. Fresh off of watching this really historical speech in the Democratic response. You know why it matters? You know why it matters? Because it means we're still going to have to listen to the State of the Union speech. That's right. <laughs> still coming up. It's still first State of the <laughs> yeah, Union. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's an interesting week, Mr. Chase. We have yeah. we have uh, some of our regular steak and potatoes to get into, right. and then we are going to break down a key a few key moments of the speech. So if I, you, if I you just have one question. Yes, sir. Go. As long as we cyber, you bet. Yeah. Oh, I I went out of my way to make sure we had a cyber clip just for you, buddy, because I know you. it's important. Well, I always like to cyber at the start of the show. Because otherwise, if we go a week without cybering, I I, I get jealous. This uh, this this is something that I feel like. Our audience is savvy enough to be aware of these types of problems. But I think what this story represents is a massive problem for Joe and Jane America. There's a new way to compromise the privacy of your family. It's through your children's toys. Over two million recorded conversations of parents and children have been exposed in a security breach involving stuffed animals from the brand Cloud Pets. Have you heard about this? No. Oh, man, it's so bad, Chase. The Los Angeles-based company was contacted about the issue back in December. But today, the Cloud Pets has yet to inform its users of the breach, a violation of California state law. RT's Brigitte Santos has more for us from Los Angeles. So it uh, it's so bad. They had their MongoDB database out on the Internet with no firewall, no, what? no password. What? They were compromised at least four times that researchers can determine from four different attackers. Some of their oh. data was held for ransom. Wow. The issue is, once you got the MongoDB, you were able to get the hashes of the passwords. I don't think that was a very good hash. And then you were also able to get the URL strings for the recordings, all of the voice recordings oh. of, like, the messages and the images, the profile pictures. Unbelievable. All of that. All of the account details, including the uh, children's name, parents' name. Uh, their address. Lawsuit. (laughs) Yeah, and then the company was notified over and over and over again, and they did nothing about it. So do they have any response on this at all? No, nothing. In fact, they haven't even updated their blog since 2015. They do have this. Check out. So here's here's the product promotion. goodbye can be hard. The ones you love seem so far. Now, staying in touch is easy and fun with Cloud Pets. Just record a message. Hope you had a good day at school. I miss you. 
you. And send to the cloud. In just seconds, it floats down to the app on your smart device, allowing you to send the message to the cloud pet. Hope you had a good day at school. I miss you. So they had about, uh, I think, 800,000 user accounts exposed. Or they could just call their kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or just send a voice message over or the default FaceTime messaging app. Yeah. Or <laughs> I know, it's a wow. bad product. Yeah. Rajita, tell me about the data that's been leaked, these recorded findings, and is there anything else? So there were 820 user accounts that were exposed here, and it Thousand, wasn't just not, those 2.2 million recordings. In fact, it was also uh, their passwords, email accounts, and also their uh, photos. And these cute stuffed toys, which include things like unicorns and cats and dogs, they're supposed to be uh, a fun way for parents to communicate with their children. But the fun has now been taken out of that. And this is how these toys work. Now, parents... Now, the other problem is... Because they want the product to be simple for parents, children, and grandparents, because they also sell this heavily to grandparents to talk right. to their grandchildren. Yeah, they wanted to make the user signup process simple and straightforward, so you can put single character passwords in there. In their tutorial, they use a, they show you to do a three character password Q W E. Actually, actually, you know what? Not a terrible idea, because at least people are not going to use the same password as their email and their bank. <laughs> Maybe, dude. Yeah. So it's pretty bad. And wow. the reason why I want to mention it on this show is because I think the larger issue here is there isn't a mechanism in place to properly inform the average public, because the average public citizen gets their news from the mainstream media, and That's they right. don't have a mechanism to... RT is the only company covering this, and they're barely getting it right. She said 820 users when it's 820,000. It's bad. Whew. It's bad. Let's really uh, bad. All right. Let's shift gears from cyber to the people who love to cyber the most, your friends over at Russia, Mr. Putin. And uh, there has been a call by Representative Issa, uh, by others, to have sessions recuse himself from the investigations into the Russians yeah. hacking the yeah, election. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so this has been something that's been building. ISA went on the Sunday show. He said it in an interview. And so now the White House, the next, you know, Monday morning has been asked, how do you respond to this? What's, what, is, what is your response to the call to have Sessions step aside and have an independent investigation? All right, let's hear about it. And I guess my question would be a special prosecutor for what? Look into the whole to, 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 but, but, uh, yeah, and, 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 and here's my – right. And I guess I mean, my – He was part of the campaign, I, I inter- so – I mean, Sessions was part of the campaign. I, I understand, but, but here's my question, Jonathan. We have now for six months heard story after story come out about unnamed sources say the same thing over and over again, and nothing's come of it. Right? We've heard the same people, the same anecdotes, and we've heard reports over and over again. Uh, and as Chairman Nunes very clear today, he Who? has seen nothing that corroborates that. Yeah, he did say that. So I, I find this is this. There has been this call for the investigation. Yet the FBI says they're not looking to press charges. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. They want an investigation of what specifically? Right. What well, specifically do they want an investigation are, are of? They do they want to have have like a distinctive tie here or like. The um, the DNC chair was elected, and there was speeches leading up to it, and it was just Russia, Russia, Russia hacked us. We were violated by Russia. They doubled down on that narrative, and so it's 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 amazing because what the Democratic Party needs is, I in my opinion, they should they should have gone with the populist candidate if they wanted to win, and it, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you look at the results of what the Democrats, the state of their party right now. I think it's pretty clear that if they would have hitched their wagon to the Sanders 
or even the Elizabeth Warrens, they probably would have gotten a lot closer. If not, I think personally, they probably would have won the election. Yeah, they. And I they think pr- Sanders and they would probably have won. would have done better in other other down ballot issues as well. Instead, the establishment Democrats, instead of recognizing this fact, may, which may or may not be true, but at least instead of even entertaining this idea, they've they've doubled down on trying to start a war with Russia and allying themselves with the CIA. And now, in, in, a, in a stroke of so much brilliance that honestly it's so obvious after, after hearing it, we, we really should have put in the Red Book. It's so great because it tidies up a very dirty loose end that exposes all of this Russia stuff as a scam. Oh? It's so brilliant. We should have thought of it. Remember, I, I think we both believe pretty firmly – and, and remember, we, we said we were going to try to mention this more on the show, and we've forgotten to do it. But there is a man's name that we, we should be mentioning every show, and it's Seth Rich. And the information that we got, the quote-unquote leaks from the DNC that exposed Donna Brazil giving Hillary Clinton's campaign questions and answers ahead of time, ahead of time or the question right. ahead of time, yeah. that exposed them rigging it against Bernie – that exposed them creating Craigslist ads to make Donald Trump look sexist, that got Debbie and, and her top-level crew fired. Those leaks didn't come from Russian hacks like Donna Brazil would have us believe. That's correct. They came from a man named Seth Rich who was murdered in the street for those leaks. Right. Case still open. Still don't know what happened. And funny enough, today there was a local news report about Seth Rich And listen to how tidy everything winds up. The murder of DNC after Seth Rich remains unsolved. It's been eight months now since his death. He was killed in the early morning hours of July 10th in D.C.'s Bloomingdale neighborhood. D.C. police have had very few leads in this case. However, they have said they believe it was a botched robbery. But this morning, a possible break in the case. Republican lobbyist Jack Berkman, who's put up reward money in this case, says he has new evidence linking Rich's murder to Rich's discovery that Russian operatives had hacked the DNC. All right, Jack joins us live in this. This is new information. It has never been claimed that it was Seth Rich that discovered the Russians hacked the DNC. That is a new claim that they are making. But this morning, a possible break in the case. Republican lobbyist Jack Berkman, who's put up reward money in this case, says he has new evidence linking Rich's murder to Rich's discovery that Russian operatives had hacked the DNC. All right, Jack joins us live in the studio. It was the Russians. Because Seth Rich exposed the Russian hack, Putin had Seth Rich murdered. Studio with more this morning. Good to see you once again. Now, look at this guy. There could not be a sleazier local news reporter. This is so stereotypically bad. This son of a bitch, this investigative reporter who won't let this story go because he cares so damn much, he got a little birdie come up to his shoulder. This little birdie was a CIA official and told him a little story, and now he's reporting back to us. Check out this whammy. All right, break down. It's like a spy novel. Yes, exactly. It does, it does. I wish I had. It's, it's kind of a, it's a morbid subject, but it's a hopeful subject because finally some progress, and it's hopeful. Hopeful, Chase. Uh, My job to bring closure to the family. That's what I'm trying to do. You get a he's lot trying of, to bring closure to the family. Well, good for him. He's trying, yeah, by, by doing this. And it's my job to bring closure to the family. That's what I'm trying to do. You get a lot of crank calls in this type of role. I've done this sort of stuff before. It's just part of the job. But I think I have something credible here. So he gets a phone call. This son of a bitch gets a phone call. Was a- 
Approached by a guy who styles himself as a former U.S. intel officer. A former U.S. intel officer. So, so, so far, there's nothing substantial here. But this is how we've been getting everything. This is how we've uh. gotten all of the Russian stuff, is intel officers, intel officials who don't want to be named. Haven't they all come yep, from that? All, that all of it has yep. been. And now this local reporter, Jack, who's been looking into this for a while, uh, he, he, this guy even put up... Um, um, a, uh, a bounty, like twenty five. Oh, a reward. He's yeah. one of the guys that put up a bounty. Like this has been his cause to try to find who who uh, who the murderer was. Trouble here was approached by a guy who styles himself as a former U.S. intel officer. Uh, I quizzed him. I think he's credible. You never know motive of people. But what he said is basically this: that Seth discovered that the Russians had been hacking, and therefore the Russian government did away with Seth. Now, isn't that a beautiful piece of tidying work? How could we not have seen that coming? Yeah, but you know, that's, I, I don't, that's gorgeous, man. I don't know how anybody watching this can take that even seriously without any substantiated, like. Oh, but Chase! Oh, but Chase! The timeline works. One of the things that, just like you, I have to judge credibility of people telling me these things. The timeline would seem to match. Seth was killed in July. The story about Russia hacking into the DNC and possibly other places happened in August. You know. That timeline does make sense. You know what else makes sense? Seth Rich was murdered, and then they needed to spin up a narrative to cover their asses and prevent them losing the election having that murder traced back mean, to them. You mean like a YouTube video kind of narrative? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. That kind of thing. That also sort of works with the timeline. Telling me these things. The timeline would seem to match. Seth was killed in July. The story about Russia hacking into the DNC and possibly other places happened in August incredible the timeline matches why are you so committed to this job oh i think you know really we could cut the clip off here but we just you just need to witness this man in action witness this man it's you know you wonder could he come up with a more narcissistic response than i i'm really in it for the families uh, i really i do it for the family i do it because i want i want to give the family closure i mean that's that's kind of a narcissist thing to say but man this one's a zinger I, uh, my mother used to talk to me about safety when I moved to D.C. In those days, D.C., I think, had almost 2,500 murders a year. Yeah. I pictured my mother getting that call. That oh, my God. Mary Rich got that morning. Just a cold call. Picture yourself, 6 a.m., you have children. I pictured my mom getting put, a put call yourself, about think, me. Think about it. Think about it right now. It's Your son's dead. In the morning, and I just, I mean, think about how that hits you. I couldn't get a call. My dog is dead. Right. That's why. Yeah. Duluth, you're on the air. You know, uh, <laughs> He did it for political reasons. Uh, I'm glad he did it, but don't give me a break. Is that not is that not a so this guy who's been raising a stink about Seth Rich's death conveniently gets a phone call from I, a previous CIA official? You also got to look at the sources here as far as look what television station he's on. Now, oh, he's I agree. On, yeah, but he, I, that could be the beginning of something that takes off. Yeah, it, it's tough though because it's like how could Fox Five even let him on to spew this without? really any hard information or evidence he says as a former cia anybody could say they're former anything i know my blood pressure is seriously so high from that right now it makes me so furious because seth rich exposed massive corruption systemic in the dnc leadership that is fundamentally causing their losses and seth rich exposed that and it it, it's now been spun as russian hackers and then to tie it all together is so so beautiful that Uh. It's really, it's really quite gorgeous. Don't I mean? In a sense, we should have seen it coming, right? 
what the spin this spin yeah, that the Russians killed him why would uh, you why? know because the, the piece we were missing which this guy now adds is that Seth Rich was the one to discover the DNC hack and of course the FBI was never allowed to investigate the servers directly they had to go with CrowdStrike's report so yeah I obviously I don't believe him and you know without having real unrefutable evidence, you know, that kind of thing. But this if, this is just like, it's just what's, a made-up theory. What what's, would be so great if this takes off is Seth Rich is the short circuit to the Russian hack logic story. So if you somebody is going all in on Russia and all of this, Seth Rich is the key to proving that it was actually a leak from a Sanders supporter inside the DNC who was pissed off what they were doing to his guy and he wanted to do something about it. Seth Rich was a patriot. The man has a flag outfit. You can go find pictures of Seth like celebrating the 4th of July. You can see Seth is passionate about U.S. politics. He was invested emotionally in Bernie Sanders' campaign. He was pissed off when he saw what was happening to Sanders and he exposed it and he was killed for it. That's what wow. happened. Yeah. It's, let's uh, let's move to uh, the big what was really in, in we just got to get to this because otherwise it's going to be the elephant in the room the entire show. Trump's big address to Congress. Before we get directly into that, I want to lead up to the very hostile situation that started happening with the press, starting with this gaggle. Breaking news is the fact that we have just learned here at CNN that CNN has been blocked from a White House gaggle. Gaggle, essentially, informal gathering uh, of reporters, print, radio, television coming together to be briefed, uh, in this case, by the White House. The White House daily briefing not happening today. And traditionally, and you've seen the pictures, lots of reporters are included in that. This is so incredibly significant because this has never happened in this administration. Not only is CNN blocked, uh, other organizations block the New York Times, the L.A. Times and Politico. Uh, apparently, the White House Correspondents Association is protesting. And as we're getting more information, just a little bit of context, as we've been taking CPAC, this conservative conference in Washington, D.C., we heard from the president this morning, and he doubled down on his tweet from just a couple of days ago, essentially saying the media is the enemy of the American people. So how do you uh, how do you feel about this uh, this this particular story. I, I'm curious, since you know you're close to uh, the industry, uh, how has this been? This seems like this is something that would really step on the uh, professionals' toes. So the the major four networks were there: ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Yeah, and, the, and so and, essentially, the press pool was there. So uh, the other the other right, agencies and, like CNN and, could still and, get access. And the excuse, I, I think it was Spicer gave the excuse that well, you know, there's just a limited number of spaces or rooms or whatever, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's bullshit. It's total bullshit. And I think this is this is just a little bit of a, a side zinger. This wasn't a full, as you heard, this wasn't the normal press conference. And the term gaggle is kind of weird. I had to look it up, too. But it is an informal, small gathering, a brief update of what's going on. Maybe there was space limitations. Who knows? I've heard it before. Yeah. It's not the, I mean, I've heard it in this context as well. But it, it does definitely feel like an intentional zing. And and that's the part that is is very almost scary in a way where you have an administration, if it's intentional yeah. or not, trying to I mean, it got a, it, shut out. It got a little weird. Outlets. There were some moments too where like yeah. the CNN people tried to get in and like they're like, no, no, you got to go, you got to leave, you can't come in here. And that's like it was a little awkward. Um, and it but it is it is if, so if you had a gaggle on 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 a gaggle on Air Force One, it would not be uncommon for only certain. Uh, 
Right, because there's only so many outlets right, that right. are on that plane. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That travel with, with the, the – actually, there is a, a traveling press core, if you will. Yeah. It's not the same as the, the core that would go and do the White House briefings. I think it's funny, though, because none of this feels uniquely new to me. Like the media is now spinning it as if Donald Trump – is at on is this is like all of a sudden all of a sudden but it the, but, the, but the, the, the part that hasn't happened before was this where certain outlets were intentionally excluded that's not true actually i mean i don't i can't remember i don't have the i don't have the specifics but other outlets have been excluded in the past um and you know i think as also prominent as cnn i don't think so i think that times and... but they were i can't remember the details because it was a while i mean day. sure maybe you're going to exclude blogger x or whatever yeah but... no it was somebody more prominent than that but yeah. um i i think also i put it in context of what we've been seeing for the past 8 years the past 8 years there's been a war on journalism I, for oh, example yeah. Yeah. just I, I i went into our own archives and I looked at some of the stuff we were covering about this around the time that the Snowden leaks came out. This was this was pretty early in the Snowden leaks. Um, Glenn Greenwald was still working at the Guardian, and uh, there was a the Obama administration w- was jailing journalists. As we shift gears and turn to the first report on press freedom in the United States ever published by the Committee to Protect Journalists, which usually advocates for press freedoms overseas, and the news isn't good. Titled The Obama Administration in the Press, the report looks at the many ways President Obama has ushered in a paralyzing climate of fear for both reporters and their sources. Oh, I remember. Uh, there was like a gaggle or something under the Obama administration where they kicked out a Fox News reporter because a few years before Obama was elected, he had written a pretty negative teardown of Obama. So they kicked out the reporter or the outlet, though? The reporter. See that? Yeah, it's different, but it also different. seems more personal in some way. Yeah, yeah. So this report's pretty interesting. Among the cases at details, six government employees plus two contractors, including Edward Snowden, have faced felony criminal prosecution since 2009 under the 1917 Espionage Act for leaking classified information to the press, compared with just three prosecutions in all previous U.S. administrations. See, that's a huge number. Like, one more time. Criminal prosecution. Paralyzing climate of fear for both reporters and their sources. Among the cases at details, six government employees plus two contractors, including Edward Snowden, have faced felony criminal prosecution since 2009 under the 1917 Espionage Act for leaking classified information to the press, compared with just three prosecutions in all previous U.S. administrations. The Department of Justice has also secretly subpoenaed and seized Associated Press reporters' phone logs and emails, and New York Times reporter James Risen was ordered to testify against a former CIA officer who provided leaked information to him. So that, you remember, that I, I thought was particularly interesting. Obama, when they found out, when the CIA was leaking to the media, when they found the guy, the way they found him, I forgot about this, is they, they got the judge to force the reporter to hand it over. Or Risen would go to jail. And remember that? And, and, and in fact, there was another journalist who wound up in jail. The new report is written by Leonard Downey, former executive editor of The Washington Post. He spoke with dozens of journalists who told him officials are, quote, reluctant to discuss even unclassified information because they fear that leak investigations and government surveillance make it more difficult for reporters to protect them as sources. It comes as Glenn Greenwald, columnist for Britain's Guardian newspaper, who's based 
in Brazil and his partner David Miranda testified before a Brazilian Senate committee this week about his work with NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden. So it's just kind of interesting to go back in time and see when Obama was dealing with leaks, how he responded. And it right. was pretty heavy. I mean, I would say that's a war on journalists. Yeah, no, definitely. And now it makes you wonder, you know, maybe Obama wasn't as blatant in public statements. And That was and, the and, difference, and, right? He yeah, wasn't as loud about it. Right. And, 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 and the media learned, like, well, if we put, yeah. the media said, okay, well, if we, they, they, that's, I think maybe, pro- if you look back at it, that's got to be the defining change in tone that the media had with Obama. That's yeah. got to be it. Has to be. The ones that decided to play ball stuck around. Right. But now you, you have uh, an administration that is just all in against and, and, and calling, you know, the media the enemy of the people, you know. And yeah, yeah. it's a very different tone for uh, sure. Totally different tone. Spicer is getting some uh, some real crap for this. Uh, I guess they're trying to really just get all these leaks figured out. Oh, figure out who's got them. Checking of the phones. Yeah, this, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. Right now, Fox News has learned that White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer is taking several steps to crack down on possible leaks coming from inside the White House. Kristen Fisher is joining us now live at the White House with the latest details on this story. Kristen, what can you tell us? Well, Uma, a senior administration official has just confirmed the extent to which White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer is willing to go to try to plug all of the leaks that keep seeping out of this White House. Now, according to this senior administration official, Last week, Spicer called nearly two dozen staffers into his office and asked them to hand over their phones to prove that they had nothing to hide, that they weren't the leakers. He also reportedly warned all the staffers in the room that round one of this was, quote unquote, recess compared to what would happen in round two of their investigation. So- <laughs> Spicer talking tough. Actually, I Spicy bet- Sean. Do you think Spicer uh, checked Kellyanne's phone? <laughs> Hmm, let me flip through your photos here. Yeah. Uh, n- the ones that she <laughs> took from the couch? Oh, come on. <laughs> Are we doing that? Don't make me pull up all the other pictures of people with their feet on the furniture. I know. I know. Um, I'm just having fun with it. I think it's uh, it's kind of next level because uh, it got way more people looking at that picture of Trump with all of those uh, black uh, community leaders there. Yeah. So way more people saw Trump with that room packed full of those community leaders in some ways, it was sort of like a 4D chess move because in order to in order for everybody to complain about Kelly Conway being on the uh, Kellyanne Conway being on the couch, you had to see what she was taking a picture of. Right. Exactly. It's 4D chess, man. Uh, speaking <laughs> of 4D chess, uh, there was also a, a shot at the media when it came to their favorite event of the year, where they get to sit around and talk, uh, roast each other, and, and pat each other on the back, talk about how great they are. Now to the president and the media. Our most recent Fox poll indicates the presidency has better approval numbers. 53% say they have confidence. 46% do not. Isn't that kind of awkward? Because you're the media, right? So you're kind of promoting the... You're so desperate to promote how popular Trump is. You're promoting how unpopular you are. You're throw yourself under the bus. That's what they're doing. Isn't that weird? See, the thing is that they're saying that they went to registered voters. And I always wonder how they phrase the question... And what is their actual sample size? Well, it would seem like if anybody would be in a position to mont, it would seem like the media would. Well, come on, uh, the media, you trust us, right? right? I mean, it's just the whole thing. Hi, super. this is Fox News. We have a question about us. <laughs> now to the president and the media. Our most recent Fox poll indicates the presidency has better approval numbers. Fifty-three percent say they have confidence. Forty-six percent do not. For the media, the numbers are upside down. Forty-four percent to fifty-five percent. And guess who's not coming to dinner? 
That is the latest salvo in the president's ongoing war with what he calls fake news. Fox News media analyst and host of Fox's Media Buzz, Howard Kurtz, explains. President Trump is continuing his assault on the media after his speech declaring major news outlets the enemy of the people. He tweeted yesterday that stories involving his associates' contacts with Russia are fake news put out by the Dems and played up by the media. But in the most buzzed-about Bellway bombshell, Mr. Trump said he's skipping the White House Correspondents' Dinner. That springtime ritual where presidents poke at the press and political opponents but are also subjected to a comedian's mockery. Yeah, I think that's probably... I think that's the part. I think he can't handle that well i say good on him if you know what if you know that's not your bag don't go i've never liked that stupid event it is the worst it is it is a bunch of celebrities and it's all of it's all of the actor level of the media it's not the actual like people that are doing the hard reporting there and then on top of that they bring in somebody like stephen colbert who makes all his typical jokes he makes all the same typical roasts and then they all pat each other on the back say do a great job and it's just – it's the biggest phony event ever. I wouldn't I, – I've always thought what a waste of the president's time. I've always thought it's a waste of the president's time. Well, any publicity usually is good publicity. But then again, you know, this is a former reality star, right? So maybe he's just like, eh, I'm not going to get good ratings of that show. So I think it's the opposite. Is He doesn't want to give the ratings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of ratings, this congressional uh, address raked in. Yeah, Yeah. it raked in. And um, this was, I think, a big moment in Trump's presidency. And so what I've got here is a a highlight reel that uh, CNN put together for us. Oh, that's very nice of them. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's sort of the – the key moments all cut together really quick. So if you didn't want to watch it or you didn't get a chance to see it or you're watching this way down the road like some of you do – This will sort of remind you what happened. The president of the United States. While we may be a nation divided on policies, we are a country that stands united in condemning hate and evil. I am here tonight to deliver a message of unity and strength, and it is a message deeply delivered from my heart. A new national pride is sweeping across our nation. And a new surge of optimism is placing impossible dreams firmly within our grasp. We are also taking strong measures to protect our nation from radical Islamic terrorism. So he goes all in on that one, you know. Well, I feel like he's just hitting a campaign point by saying that. So So I am calling on all Democrats and Republicans in Congress to work with us to save Americans from this imploding Obamacare disaster. He gestures to Nancy Pelosi and kind of smiles and laughs a little bit. He did that a couple of times. (laughs) Look at Nancy. Wow. She's you hear that going. Oof. Uh, So there's there's uh, also probably um, the moment that tipped the scales. I think just about everybody's commentary. And if Trump pulls one of these off every time he has a big uh, speech, uh, he's going to do great. The challenges we face as a nation are great, but our people are even greater. And none are greater or braver than those who fight for America in uniform. Got to spend more money, Chase. Got to spend more money. (laughs) 
Yeah, I got to stand up for that. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna shake my head on that one. Now the Democrats don't stand up very often during the. Did, I always watch this. Yeah, Do you me watch too. this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also noticed that there definitely seems to be a Hillary division and like an Elizabeth Warren division in this crowd here. Uh, there's, there is there. I just watching. There were people taking their cues from Nancy and people taking their cues from Elizabeth when to stand up. That was fascinating. The Democrats don't stand up often, but when it comes to our service members and the military. Everybody's standing up for that. Spend that money. We are blessed to be joined tonight by Corinne Owens, the widow of U.S. Navy Special Operator, Senior Chief William Ryan Owens. Now, this isn't too unusual. The president often does calls out to people. This, that's yeah. a standard formula, actually. In fact, I was even at first a little surprised to even see him following that formula. But that's yeah. This is when you when you're it's very traditional when you're making this cake. This is this is one of the ingredients. But what Trump does here a little bit is the just a little bit of difference that he maybe if even improved that I think pushed it over. Ryan died as he lived, a warrior and a hero, battling against terrorism and securing our nation. This started to come in a good time in his speech too, because at the beginning his cadence. Was a little off with the applause. He was yeah. he wasn't nailing it, but by this point, he's starting to get a better flow. So now you could now here's the part where I really thought this is this was Trump's move. So they the White House had told the media that they would be going in on her and they had told the media to have a graphic up with her husband. But what Trump does here and you can tell because it's in the mic, it's annoying, yeah, it's yeah, loud. Yeah. He's now leading the clapping. The president is leading the clapping and he leads it a long long time. Yeah, he keeps longer going. than I and, you know I picked up on that too. And by yeah. doing that, he gave her one of the longest moments has ever happened in an address like this and just everybody was just blown away by the emotional tone. And it was something simple and he what he did is he grabbed control of the crowd and he led the clapping. You can hear it here in the in the audio. That loud clapping is Trump into his mic. You see that? Yeah. I just spoke to our great General Mattis. Sat, and, she, and of course, she's sitting next to her daughter. Her daughter takes okay, a great yeah. moment, you know, has yeah. this is a great moment, puts her hand on her leg to like comfort her, rise the camera still on her. Just now. That's beautiful, right? Yeah. That's that's beautiful. That was a beautiful moment. I don't know if they planned them. They must have planned that. It was it was perfect. Mattis, just now, who reconfirmed that, and I quote, Ryan was a part of a highly successful raid that generated large amounts of vital intelligence that will lead to many more victories in the future against our enemy. The other thing that's great about this is this was something over the weekend or the, that's not the weekend. This was something starting about Monday that was starting to build that he hadn't handled this properly, that he was blaming other people for it, that Trump should just take responsibility. These are criticisms about this entire this about this entire yeah, service. Yeah. And by doing this, he just sort of whitewashes all of that. Ryan's legacy is etched into eternity. Thank you. And now Trump's leading the clapping again. See, you can, he's taking control of the clapping. 
and he keeps it going longer than normal. Even the military guys are clapping. The reason why it cuts in and out, boom, 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 is because he's spiking the mic. Yeah. He's still driving it. Doesn't it sound weird after a while? If, you know, I, I made a comment because I was watching with my dad and, and my wife, and I was just like, this feels longer than it really should be. But that's like, that's I how mean, he inter- sold it. Like right, he, yeah. Because he did this, and he just keep. And I, I feel like part of me feels like we should let it play because it it helps build the moment. I'm going to let it play a little more. And she's crying. And she's like looking up to God. It's it's an amazing moment. Yeah. And you can tell she's thankful for the appreciation too. It's powerful. He's still leading the clapping. He's looking up at her very Mussolini style. With his daughter right there in barely in the camera frame. If he does this at the State of the Union, something like this, they're still going. I'm filling time now. And now he's stopped. And Ryan is looking down right now. You know that. And he's very happy because I think he just broke a record. (laughs) Yeah. That was smooth. If yeah. That is some, that's again, some 40 chess right there. That was so <laughs> smooth. There was one moment where there got, I, I was, I was very pleased to hear a little giggle in the crowd. We have begun to drain the swamp oh, of that. government corruption by imposing a five-year ban on lobbying. You can hear a little bit in the background. Yeah, because there were people like, yeah, look at your cabinet. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> laughable. It was like, uh, do you remember when we played that clip when somebody claimed that Hillary Clinton was the most honest politician and somebody <laughs> right. in the background cracked up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he, got a, he managed to keep going and he got a strong reaction from the words that he said. Five-year ban on lobbying by executive branch officials and a lifetime ban earlier in the speech uh you know he doesn't get as many democrats but he he manages to gain uh some some momentum there i thought i'd go around and try to get different uh, inputs and it all fell down around the lines msnbc had some thoughts fox news had their thoughts uh, I wanted to go to Van Jones because Van Jones oh, yeah. has been he's been a, he's been a, a dog with a bone when it comes to Trump, and I wanted to I wanted to play his thoughts on Trump's speech. He, he became president of the United States in that moment. Period. What do you think of that? Well, maybe just that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people uh, thought that was. But see, it all matters now how he follows up on it, right? And I think that's the most crucial part here. Is he going to be up at 3, 4 in the morning sending out very uh, very negative and 
very pessimistic tweets and start attacking people again. And, you know, if he wants to continue this tone, this totally different tone that we saw from him, it really depends on his follow-up. Mm, you sound a bit like your buddy I Chuck Schumer. I want to play a little bit from uh, what Senator Chuck Schumer had to say oh, this really? morning on the Today Show <laughs> when asked if there was anything in that hour and six-minute speech that he could agree with. Here is what the Senate Democratic leader said. I was touched by the mention of uh, the widow of the What's brave the soldier who died in that Yemen guy. and things like that. Yeah. But no, he couldn't even remember the guy's name. It's, that's 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 classic. In Yemen and things like that. But no, uh, it's hard to see any place where the president actually has done something for working people. Wait, wait. There's an error. What's that? On that graphic, you didn't. Hard to see where the president two line text banner. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I did not see that. Yeah, Chuck Schumer's been saying, and Nancy Pelosi's been saying, what's he gotten done? He hasn't gotten anything done. He's, he's, he hasn't gotten anything done that he promised. I, you kind of said it too. He's, you know, he's busy tweeting. He's uh, taking pot shots at people. Playing uh, golf every weekend. I would say, I would say he's gotten quite a bit done. Well, through executive order. Yeah. And, you know, and this is also coming off a guy who criticized President Obama. Uh, of doing a lot of executive orders. Let's see what Congress can do mm-hmm. with you. That's, that is that's, really the big thing. That's the huge thing. One of, and, you know, one of them, there's, there's these two things, these two huge numbers that are floating around. The first one is the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan, yeah. which we play a little bit in the overtime. Which both sides like. Then there's this whole $54 billion defense spending uh-huh. increase. <laughs> the president who's talked plenty about his money... I'm really rich. Now spending the taxpayers in a new budget blueprint that's as much a political document as a financial one. We have to start winning wars again. That means a lot more money on the military, a lot less almost everywhere else. President Trump wants to add $54 billion to beef up the Pentagon, intelligence agencies and Homeland Security and slash the same amount to agencies like the EPA and the State Department. You know, I I know that sounds, boy, that first one too, the EPA, that sounds really bad. There is, though, there is some interesting history with the EPA in terms of really big military projects that were multi-billion dollars in the making that there. So there may be some slack to cut from the EPA without collapsing. And I'm, I'm just pointing that out. The State Department. What I love about this is, of course, this this newscast is going to pitch it as like, well, what about our U.S. aid? But the State Department has been central to our Middle Eastern just total back word policy, catastrophe after catastrophe, including in Libya, that was the State Department, Syria, our handling of Iran. All of this has been such a disaster. I, uh, here's a little fun fact for you, too. Fun fact. Do you, know what the, do, you know, uh, do you know what the State Department used to be called? I, know, I hope I'm remembering this right. Mm. The War Department. Really? Yeah, that didn't play so well after World War II, so they uh, – so they renamed it to the State Department. They are responsible for a lot of the shit we get into. Of course, them and then through the executive branch and the CIA. There's, But I would love to see the State Department get slimmed down a little bit. But this report, of course, doesn't really mention that stuff. We are taking his words and turning them into policies and dollars. His new budget director emphasizes it's just an outline. But the cuts could mean less money for, say, arts programs or helping people in need overseas. I don't even know if the president 
really understands the ramifications of the cuts that are being proposed. Right now, the government spends the majority of its budget on entitlements like Medicare and Social Security, programs the president's promised to protect, even though party leaders like Paul Ryan have pushed to overhaul them to save money. The president has made clear he doesn't want to cut these entitlements. Are you comfortable with the budget that doesn't do that? Repealing and replacing Obamacare is fundamental entitlement reform. You cannot have a serious, credible, fiscally responsible budget that does not address the challenges in our entitlement programs. Lots of that, lots of that. And that's been a conversation that's been having, what, last 20 years? I know. I'm so sick of hearing it. Yeah. Uh, I, this, so the, the line on the defense spending, on, on why this has to happen, is, well, you see, after 16 years of war, our military is broken down and busted and needs fixed up. We've been active all around the world. So it's great because it's, it's sort of like the self-fulfilling prophecy. We build up this entirely monstrous military-industrial complex, which constantly requires feeding, constantly requires new conflict to churn out new machinery to keep going, which then, because it, because it's consistently pushing for engagement, it winds up in a state where its equipment has been degraded and functionality reduced, its troops have been reduced, it's now in this sort of banged-up position simply because it is such a monster that it has to constantly be fed and has to constantly be in one war after another. So the solution is to just spend more money. It's, it's like the, it's the same kind of logic where you're, the way you're going to get people off of heroin is by increasing police enforcement. The way you're going to get people to stop dr- dr- driving drunk is by increasing police enforcement and instead of addressing the social issues that are causing the problem in the first place. It's the same sort of mentality that the right often finds themselves in that just leads to more privatized prisons, that just leads to more families getting screwed up because somebody smoked a joint. It's this backwards big government thinking that these small conservative government guys are constantly promoting. Yeah. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. It's the definition of hypocrisy oh, yeah. because they – they they claim to be for small government, and then their solution is to spend more fifty four billion dollars more on the world's largest military. Their solution is to hire task forces to reduce bureaucracy. Well, what is a task force? A task force is going to create it's another bureaucracy, layer. right? Yeah. Their, their solution to immigration is to to spend more on immigration enforcement. Their solution to the drug war and the opioid addiction is to spend more on drug enforcement. It is insanity. And it's the biggest disappointment of the Trump campaign, or I'm sorry, now the Trump presidency so far. And remember last week, we were kind of scratching our heads about his new national security advisor. We had heard a lot of positive things about him, but like we didn't really know, like, what's this guy about? Why why does the right, left, neocons, conservatives, why do they all seem to like this guy? This story gives us a little more detail. All right. President Trump's new pick for national security advisor, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, has won bipartisan praise. Congressman Adam Schiff, the top-ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, he described McMaster as a solid choice. But McMaster's most enthusiastic support has come from a camp which, so far, has been largely opposed to Trump, the neocons. Editor of the Weekly Standard and prominent member of the Never Trump movement, Bill Kristol, commended Trump's choice, saying, I say this honestly and non-snarkily. I can't imagine anyone better prepared for the challenges of being Trump's NSA than H.R. McMaster. 
Senator Tom Cotton, known for his hawkish stance on Iran, called McMaster legendary in an interview. And one of Trump's biggest critics on the Hill, Senator John McCain, echoed such views, calling McMaster an outstanding choice as a man of genuine intellect, character, and ability. Wow, he's got McCain on board. So what about McMaster has excited some of Trump's greatest detractors, the proponents of war? RT correspondent Anya Parampil brings us the answers. After weeks of offering nothing but criticism for President Donald Trump, the neocons can hardly contain their excitement at his selection of Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster as National Security Advisor. The ideology of the neocons has always been a, a Trotskyite orientation. You know, they believe in, in perpetual, continuous revolution whereas Trotsky felt it was a socialist revolution international. Uh, They believe in some sort of um, uh, messianic American version or their version of America uh, and that sort of permanent revolution overseas that, of course, has to take place at the barrel of a U.S. gun. Proponents of war find a clear ally in McMaster, who spoke about his vision for the future of warfare at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a defense industry-funded think tank. I think what we're seeing is a shift in in geopolitics and competitions in a way that that poses great dangers and I think has elevated the risk of a major international military crisis to maybe the highest level in the last 70 years. So that's the guy. Um, That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. He's already making changes to the National uh, Security Council, too. Yes, the one that Bannon's in. Uh, I have links in the show notes to give information about that. You know, thinking about these cuts, so one of the things he mentioned in his speech was this new executive order that says for every new regulation, two other regulations have to be cut. Um, people are concerned about the dismantling of Dodd-Frank, which could unhinge the financial industry and the derivatives market and cause another collapse. The stock market's going crazy right now. They love whatever he's doing. I I am I, – not that I'm a fatalist, but I feel like we are so supremely screwed – based on 35 years of horrible policy decisions that there's almost there's almost no way to to screw it up worse there's really almost nothing worse you can do uh, one group will be less screwed than another group another group will be more screwed see what i guess what i don't understand about this whole process is if if the republicans truly want to make this better right and and they and they don't want us to be in huge debt and they want to help people and blah, 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 blah. Why would they intentionally do things that counter that? Like they, they Give an example. Well, like, for example, I mean, do we really need to spend $54 billion uh, increasing our defense while at the at the same time, you know, we, we have a, a huge opioid uh, epidemic, for example, and we have other major social issues like you just you know talked about. You know, why are we not putting our energy towards things that can really make a difference for us? What does 50, spending $54 billion on military do for us at all? Well, I don't. I don't have an answer for that. I'm right. Not, I, I mean, know. I'm just saying, like, if they – I mean, for, for the people who voted for them and, 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 and you know, they, they want their, their factory jobs back or, you know, they're, they've seen their communities being torn apart. I mean, hell, Flint still – Flint doesn't still have clean drinking water. And now they're, they're having to pay for the water uh, that requires filters for them to drink. There's nothing happening there. You know, it's, the, it's these kind of issues that are happening in America right now that – so the, your your, just your fundamental premise is why spend that money on the military when you could spend it locally? Right. <clears throat> Instead of privatizing the roads, spend it on the roads. 
Um, I, so their premise is that there is a there, there are threats in the world, and that the military's readiness status—that's their—that's their term. Their readiness status after 16 years of war is reduced to to to, to devastating levels, and that they they claim that the sequester that's been in place now for a little while has left them in a state that is just beyond repair and that they need somebody to come along and revamp it. And in fact, McCain wanted uh, but how does something like back, $64 billion or something. Pulling back Dodd-Frank, how does that, that, how does that help you? Uh, how does it help uh, dismantling the Affordable Care Act uh, and you know, saying that how they How has were, anything that's been done in the last 30 years helped right, us? Right, but what I'm, that, that's the thing though, right? What, what's, what's their ultimate motive, right? Do, I mean, do they honestly just don't care? I think it's a philosophy that I think they're. I think they it's have about a, themselves and not people. They have a core philosophy. I think they have a core philosophy that they can by deregulating, they can open up the American market and give it. Here's what. Okay, I should preface this a little more. A little more. There, they, the U.S. market is in a unique position right now because the rest of the world really doesn't have their shit together financially. So we have, we have some, we have some great, op, we have some great opportunities right now to sort of lock in our position for the next hundred years if we do things right. And I think their theory is let's let's unregulate industry and let the American industry's engines just go full-fledged for a few years to really establish us as dominant as for the, you know, we are the superpower. It's not going to be China. It's not going to be India. It's not going to be a China-India-Iran coalition. It is the United States. And the way, and the way we do that is through deregulation and by empowering our military to keep the things that we have. Right, but what but what we've seen in a lot of these cases is it's made things worse for a lot of Americans, a lot of people. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's how and they, they don't even argue against that. And that and that's the part that really bugs me. It's like all right, fine, if you want to do these things, show me proof where it's actually helped us. And I've never seen it because it hasn't in a lot of ways. I'm going to play just a few clips from Steve Bannon here really quick because he was at CPAC. I think the first two EOs that you've started to see implemented here over the last couple of days under General Kelly, and that is the rule of law is going to exist when you talk about our sovereignty and you talk about immigration. General Kelly and Attorney General uh, Sessions are adamant, you know, that, and you're going to start to see, I think, with the defense budget we're going to talk about next week when we bring the budget out, and also with uh, certain things about the the plan on ISIS and and what General Mattis and these guys think. I think you'll start to see the other part of that. But the third, this regulation, you know, every business leader we've had in is saying not just taxes, but it is uh, is also the regulation. I think the consistent, if you look at these cabinet appointees, they were selected for a reason, and that is the deconstruction, the way the progressive left runs is if they can't get it passed, they're just going to put it in some sort of regulation in a uh, in an agency. That's all going to be deconstructed. It's not only not going to get better; it's going to get worse every day in the media. <laughs> so it cuts there, but he, they have that he's quoted in this as saying they are going to deconstruct the administrative layer. They're going to just start there. They have teams. They're just going to start dismantling these regulations and bureaucracies. I I. But see, if the American people don't see a result, if if they don't see something good happening from all the stuff that they're doing, they're out. Well, who what the what is defined as the American people? Well, I'm just talking about people who vote. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's right. I'm, the I'm, cogs. I, I think I think from from high level government, I would wage, I would hazard, if you allow, a guess that the American people to them are. The corporations 
the innovators, the culture makers, because Chase Nunes and Chris Fisher might be around 80, 90 years if we're lucky. Companies like IBM and Google and Microsoft could be around for three, 400 years. Their, their loyalty lies there because they are the true legacy. The people die off. We don't matter to them. And so for them... But if, but if they make drastic decisions that affect people in the short term, they won't even have the time to implement what they Well, who's the people? Want. Because right now the stock market's doing crazy great. Like today, it's breaking records. Right. So if the people are uh, Wall Street, the people are doing really good. If the people are Apple, it's looking like they're going to be able to repatriate some of that money pretty soon. It's looking pretty good. If the people is, you know, and maybe at some point, you know, if they, if I can, if I can go a year without having to have insurance, I, every single month since my insurance has gone up, I have needed that money that they have taken out of my account. Every single month this year, I have needed that money. It would make a big difference for my quality of life. There has been weeks where I don't know I don't know how I'm going to put gas in my truck to actually get to work. I could really use that money and I haven't gone to the doctor for 5 years, 6 years. I I would so much rather have that money in my pocket. So for somebody like me because I'm a small business, we can't really afford to you know do something that's because the business can't really afford to do it and there's not really great options when you've got only a few employees. I I that could be something you could do that would make a day-to-day material difference in my life. Yeah, but then, then the entire system would collapse as far as the, the, the system. Good. I, good. I hope, I hope all of the systems collapse. Yeah, but then – so you're going to say that to somebody Yeah, because you know what's going to happen? Then Trump doesn't get elected in four, in four years. They bring in a Democrat then, then, and they set up a single-payer system. But then people die because then they, they don't have health coverage anymore. Yeah, people are still going to die. Right. But They're going to die. But now they don't have coverage. So what you pick so, your poison? So, so so they're supposed to lose their house and everything they have if, if they that get would sick? still happen to me if something happened. Not necessarily. Yeah, my insurance is absolutely shit. First of all, but you have something. I, you have a layer of if something. I would have no, I don't because I I have a five thousand dollar deductible that would ruin me. I immediately like the, the the day I have to use my insurance, I'm ruined because I have to pay five thousand dollars first. Five thousand. So it's or like it's no good or a hundred thousand. Honestly, where, where I'm at, it there's no difference. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I podcast for a living. It's not like I'm making Leo Laporte bucks. I live off of Patreon and sponsors. Like, right, yeah. I do this because I couldn't do anything else. I don't do it because I make a lot of money. And in my, I would have to finance it either way. It, it just doesn't make a difference. And what would make a difference would be to have nearly $300 a month more. That would make a huge difference for me. Right. So I, it's you pick your poison because I have, to be, I have to do crazy creative things to be able to figure out how to put gas in the truck to get down here to record the shows. But then what, what's a better way of doing it then? I think a single payer system. Okay, yeah, but uh, I think I just don't think you. you I think you, it's going to take a, another swing of that pendulum before we'll get there. Right. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make just a total mess of it first. You gotta break the entire thing. You gotta get people really passionate about this topic, and then you gotta have somebody. I can agree with that. That yeah. comes in and says, "Well, I've got a solution for you. We're going to take this system that has this great." And that's what pisses me off about hearing, you know, the Republicans saying, OK, well, we're going to we're going to give you uh, health service accounts and tax credits. That doesn't help you as a business owner, because if you don't have the money to put into a health service account, it's not even going to matter. You know, if the insurance is this high and they say, well, we're going to give you credits, that still doesn't matter. You still have to come up with the money. 
I do like the idea of taking pre-tax money, though. That does appeal to but, me. But you're you're not saving that much. You're saving what? Yeah. A few percent? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it, 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 I, it, it's, we both agree it's effed up. <laughs> you know, you said something that I think is really poignant. I think you said something just sort of offhandedly. You said, and it's, it, it is sort of leading to this horrible, oh, oh, oh God, I can barely say it, opioid addiction yeah. situation where you get on painkillers your insurance stops covering it. You can't pay for it otherwise, so you go to stuff that's on the street. And this, all of what we're talking about, this is what's happening every single day right now. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it boggles my mind because there's a, there's a common thing amongst our, the RV community, people who full-time in their RVs. A lot of them that are, that are mobile, like uh, there's several that, several that I follow that do this, when they have a major medical procedure— they go down to Mexico in their RV and they just pay cash. And I'm talking like root canals. I'm talking getting prescription drugs. They can pay. And I'm not saying this is, I mean, but I'm telling what I'm saying yeah. is people are so desperate. Well, we've, we've heard about the medical care in Cuba and, and uh, Michael Moore, was it Michael Moore that did that special about Maybe. Uh, Yeah, going down to the Cuba. People are going to extraordinary lengths. Yeah, they are. And people are getting into heroin, and it is a horrible situation right. that there's a real world cost. There's real human cost. Mine is a financial one, but there's people that are they have much higher cost. Because my fear is the Republicans, they don't want to fix this. They, 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 they honestly want to destroy it and, and not make it better. I don't have an optimistic feeling about this. And, I, and this is not, this is not uh, trying to be a neutral point of view. I'm just telling you how it's I feel get, I think it's got to get worse before it gets better. Absolutely. And, and that's the part that kind of freaks me out is how bad is it have have to get i hope they have it figured out before i'm beyond my uh, 40s or 50s <laughs> yeah. i hope they get it figured out while yeah. i'm still in my 30s uh, that's that's going to be optimistic though at this point yeah maybe they'll have it in time for my kids yeah uh so this sort of leads me to our high note jeff sessions oh god thank you for yes he's a he's a concern oh. Uh, he's a real concern, uh, and uh, he's in Pharma's pocket. You can just feel it already. Well, I don't know. I think I, I think. Or he's is it extreme. a personal? I don't a personal know. feeling. You know, when I watch this, to me, the man seems simply misinformed. I'm dubious about marijuana. As states, I get can pass whatever laws they choose, but I'm not sure we're going to be a better, healthier nation. This is the uh, new attorney general. So uh, he's got thoughts on marijuana, uh, the opioid situation. Yeah. Let's pause there. We'll come back to the high note. All right. That's a little tease. That's the, a, the high note is coming little, up. A little tease. We're gonna, it's got a, we got a pretty good high note this yeah, week. Some good we stuff do. we're going to get into. Very good stuff. But in the meantime. Yes. Hey, it's time for a joint session of my sack. Isn't that nice? Oh, that is wonderful. Yeah. We, you know, we come together. Yeah. The uh, Congress we, of the Patreon. And once a year, we, we, we visit my sack. Oh. So, hey, guys, you know, I reached out Club 33 asking you guys what you thought of the president's speech last night and the Democratic response. Oh, good idea. And uh, here's what people had to say. Veratuna wrote in and said, hey, which way will Trump jump away from war or toward it? Seems like there are conflicting forces pulling either way. Putin is right to be cautious. Meanwhile, in the UK, Liberty have launched a legal action against the Snoopers charter. Too little, too late. Also, 14 years in prison for leaking government cock-ups. Even if you're a journalist? What a time to be alive, huh? Where's that? UK. Oh, man. Talk about a war on journalism. Yeah, that Snoopers charter and all of that. You know, is it it too little, too late? I say no. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Never is. No. 
And uh, Prayer tuned weekly check-in. And then Mickey T writes in and says, "Hey, I love how CNN brought up Russia after Trump's speech. They pointed out that it was notably absent from the speech. Huh, yeah. Well, yeah, no duh. It's a speech about America. They also uh, think he called the military weak because we aren't winning. Hey, I'm in the Navy. We're tired of a sustained war without winning also. Anyway, no doubt. Keep up the great show. You guys rock. One of my favorite commentaries was immediately after the speech. It comes back to the CBS crew. Scott Pelley's there. And one of the first things he leads with is, we were counting the amount of times he said, I, in the speech. And, like, they were waiting the entire time. They were counting, like, when he was going to refer to himself. The I counter. Yeah. Hey, if you guys want to be a, po- a part of Club 33 and you want to get on that waiting list, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter and select Club 33. You'll get an email notification when a spot opens up. But right now, we are full. But don't forget, if you are part of Club 33, look for my Patreon message that gets posted every Wednesday morning, very early, so you can get your messages in for the show at patreon.com slash unfiltered. What other cool benefits can they get, Chris? Well, thank you for asking, Mr. Chase. Uh, If you get in at the uh, $3 level, you really get up there. Actually, the $5 level. I was just kidding. It's $2, $5, and Club 33. And the $5 level today would be a particularly good one because – you get access to the supporter sync, and there's a ton of extra stuff in the so overtime folder. So much. so much good stuff. Great clips, montages, stuff that we can't play because of copyright issue. It's all in there, uh, and you get access to that for just $5 a month. Plus, you're really, you're really making a difference keeping the show on the air. It's one of the most time-consuming. It is the most. It's not one of. <laughs> that's it. like it's, I just automatically but, say but that. Big thanks to the people who support us here, and show. also who submit stories on uh, unfilteredreddit.com. Yep, and uh, also producer Matt. One other thing, uh, I just want to mention for the Patreon, Patreon.com/unfilter. Uh, you get for free. No, you don't even have to be a supporter when YouTube when YouTube works with us. The full <laughs> live stream. That's right. The original order, we recorded everything, nothing cut out, the in-between, uh, the overtime and main show stuff, yep. just posted there for free, and we hope that you go check it out, and from time to time, maybe you consider joining us. At $5 tier is really the sweet spot to be, because you get the supporters. You get everything. And you'll be in on it when Except we move the through swag. the system. Yeah, the swag's at 33 Yeah. But, you know, if you can only support, like, if, you know, if you can only afford to support us, like, two bucks, we also really do appreciate that. That's right. Patreon.com slash unfilter, and the overtime segment's coming up dedicated to our patrons. So let's go back to Mr. Sessions. Oh, Mr. Who's, he's not so sure. He's I'm not dubious so sure. about marijuana. As states I get, can pass whatever laws they choose, but I'm... I like that part. States can pass whatever laws they choose. But... It's good to hear the Attorney General say that. Choose, but I'm not sure we're going to be a better, healthier nation that if uh, we have uh, marijuana being sold at every corner grocery store. See... I just don't... He my, starts with the exaggeration right and, there. And, and, you know, my, it's actually my, very opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. My wife turned and looked at me and was like, what is he? Is he smoking? Like, yeah, what is like, he talking about pretty here? Pretty much any little town around here that wants to have rules about where things can be hazard. And there's some towns that just don't even have any shops. I mean, honestly, that's a scare thing. I, and, I, and I think he's trying to throw that out there to, to scare the conservative, you know, soccer mom that, oh, my kid could go to any cor- corner store. No, it doesn't work like that. The the thing is, is this is one of those issues where the public is so far beyond where the government's at that there's... Oh, there was a Quinniac poll, 71%. So three, nearly three out of four people approve of marijuana and want to see it legalized. ...at every corner grocery store. I just don't think that's going to be uh, good for us. And uh, uh, we'll have to work our way through that. 
uh, I see uh, a line in the Washington Post today that I remember from the 80s. Um, this one was, uh, if you smoke, you know, marijuana is a cure for opiate abuse. The fact that he's even saying this, and he says, I remember this from the 80s, actually makes me think he might actually believe this. Because he's, this is on its face. And also look at the look on his face. He's got that smirk look to him. On its face, this is so uninformed that you, if you actually knew the facts, you wouldn't say this because you would come across looking like an uninformed moron. And the only way you would actually say this is if you actually thought this was true. So I'll let it play again. But I'm not sure we're going to be a better, healthier nation that if uh, we have uh, marijuana being sold at every corner grocery store. I just don't think that's going to be. I have one side comment on this. Okay. Then I want you to listen to the next. I know. I know. His position is what? The attorney general, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, He doesn't work for the Department of Health. Okay. He doesn't work for the education department. He doesn't work for social services or anything. He is the attorney general. He is there to enforce the federal laws of the land. I give a rip about how he feels what America should have and not have, okay? Well, but it's his policies that will direct how federal law enforcement But honestly, agencies- but, it, but it shouldn't be about that. It should just be about the law, you know, and enforcement of law, not law, whatever. You it was know? thanks to the guys like him that D.A.R.E. even became a thing, which was, if you look at it, a massive failure. Right, exactly. So, okay, now check out this next part. Right. And uh, we'll have to work our way through that. Uh, I see uh, a line in the Washington Post today that I remember from the 80s. You hear how he says that? From the 80s. Now listen to what he says. It's so uninformed. Which was when the D.A.R.E. program was in its heyday. Mm -hmm. Um, This one was, uh, if you smoke, you know, marijuana is a cure for opiate abuse. Give me a break. So let's talk about that for a second. Uh, This is actually something that could be a... Very interesting line of research. And uh, Nevada, as well as um, Massachusetts and other uh, states, are very seriously looking into this. Here's a little peek. Some Nevada lawmakers want to give people addicted to narcotics the option to treat their condition with medical marijuana. Right now, physicians can make referrals that pot would help treat a patient with a number of conditions, including cancer, AIDS, seizures, and chronic pain. Very little research points to marijuana as a helpful treatment for narcotics addiction. I think that's a key line there. Because and the, the reason why they haven't been able to do research. Exactly, buddy. Is, 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 it's this entire problem, and it's guys like Sessions that have been holding this entire thing up. And we got to know, because the positive side effects of this could be huge. And it's actually, it's, it's not because they like getting stoned or something like that. It's actually a much more practical reason this clip covers. It's a growing problem in Minnesota and across the country. The Centers for Disease Control say between fourteen and 16,000 people die every year as a result of their addiction to prescription painkillers. Those addictions often lead to heroin use. Here in Minnesota, 342 people have died from heroin overdoses since 2000. But now, medical researchers think they found a new way to help break the addiction. It's by using medical marijuana. So people often die from opiates, and opiates are highly addictive. And those are two things, two characteristics that cannabis does not have as a medicine. Dr. Kyle Kingsley is the CEO of Minnesota Medical Solutions, one of the two manufacturers of medical marijuana in Minnesota. He believes medical cannabis can help people who've become addicted to prescription painkillers, like oxycodone, 
morphine, and hydromorphone, as well as heroin. People think it's you know, swapping out one for the other, and it's swapping out a much lesser evil for something that is killing 16,000 people a year. So uh, you know, people are not dying from THC or marijuana overdoses. That is the key thing, man. That is like the totally key yeah. thing is you can, you can transition them over to something like cannabis or CBD. And Does Sessions want to keep people on opioids because of pharma? I mean, that's what I wonder here. Is like, is 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 pharma a big pusher because they know that anybody can grow a plant? You know what I mean? And I feel like, like it's I feel like it's ignorance of the problem, and they simply think it's an enforcement issue. See, and you're right. I mean, they're totally ignorant. It's it's very very frustrating to to hear. You know, oh, I remember this in the 80s. Well, why don't you actually get some real research? Yeah, how about we get some progress and yeah. we move past this part? Here. So, uh, you know, people are not dying from THC or marijuana overdoses. In Minnesota, medical marijuana can only be sold as a pill, liquid, or oil. Beginning this August, people with chronic pain will be able to get a prescription if they're certified by their doctors. Many of those folks are already taking prescription painkillers. There's mounting evidence out there that cannabis in the setting of chronic pain helps people reduce their opiate use. And there's also uh, some analyses out there that show a dramatic reduction in the number of opiate overdose deaths in states that have medical marijuana. This summer, Dr. Kingsley... That's what's also super awful about Sessions saying that, is there's existing data that shows where they're trying this, deaths go down. That's a huge deal. It's happened here in this state. So something that's been something that I've been I've seen from afar is uh, my uh, my lady Hadia. She runs an acupuncture clinic, right, yeah. and she has had more and more of her patients have her their doctors recommend CBD oils. Wow, really? And CBD pills, and she's seen over this even just this year a big spike in patients that are seeing success using CBDs. Uh, she doesn't, you know, recommend it or anything like that because she she doesn't really. Yeah. That's not that's not she does acupuncture. That's on her perfume, right? Yeah, but uh, she's seen a lot, a huge uptick in it, and it's like with older ladies with like arthritis. Wow! And it's it's not like kids. It's it's like menopausal women is making a difference. Um, and then then there was just the last high note we have. This is so you combine Sessions' position, which is bad, with sort of some hints that. Uh, Spicy Sean was dropping this week? Uh, There's two distinct issues here. Medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Okay, here we go. Back to this conversation. Because the entire... Can we just... We can't even get past the premise that the federal government should have no jurisdiction over what substances that I put in my body. That the federal government technically by the constitution should be staying out of this that if they're willing to make transgender bathrooms a state's right thing that they should be oh, making yeah, cannabis hypocrisy, right it's yeah. just it's it's thick right yeah. so then when spicy sean comes at it with the well let's differentiate the two like there's like all the like if all of a sudden we can we can isolate off the victims well the victims need special treatment but the rest of humanity we can decide what they put in their <laughs> bodies so i hate this entire just context that they have the argument in because it's flawed to begin with then he goes off to rattling what sounds like implications of crackdown um i think medical marijuana i've said before that the president uh, understands the pain and suffering that many people go through who are facing especially terminal diseases and the comfort that some of these drugs including medical marijuana can bring to them you know if they're going to die if they're going to yeah, die, let them smoke, I guess. Um, and that's one that Congress, through a rider in 2011, looking for a little help, uh, I think put an appropriations bill saying the Department of Justice 
um, wouldn't 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 be funded to go after those folks. Uh, there's a big difference between that and recreational marijuana. And I think that when you see uh, something like the opioid addiction crisis um, blossoming in so many states around this country, the last thing that we should be doing is encouraging people. There is still a federal law. Uh, that we need to abide by in, in terms of... He just kind of is speaking choppedly, but he's sort of implying that with the opioid situation that it is, that the cannabis legalization make it worse, but the data shows exactly the opposite. Right. Uh, the medical, when it comes to recreational marijuana and other drugs of that nature. So I think there's a big difference between medical marijuana, which states have a... Um, the states where it's allowed in accordance... He almost said it right, but he stopped himself. ...with the appropriations rider have set forth a process to administer and and um, and regulate that usage versus recreational marijuana. Okay, so we're okay with regulations in this context. This is where regulations are okay all of a sudden. But in the other context, it's not. You want to get rid of some regulations? How about you get rid of the DEA? How about you get rid of the schedule classification of cannabis? You want to get rid of some regulations? How about you dismantle the drug war machine? That would get that would get rid of some regulations. It's it's an incredible hypocrisy. That's that's what that's what gets me right there. Gets me right there. Right in the kisser. Right in the right in the kisser. All right, Mr. Chase. I thought maybe one little fun thing. Okay. This is probably gonna get us flagged for copyright. <laughs> at least it's at the end. But it's at yeah, yeah. At least at the end, so we'll just trash the whole thing. Uh I thought this was I thought this was kind of great. Maybe I miss Hillary a little bit. There are at least forces within the FBI that wanted her to lose. This is the Washington Post's new contributing editor. Did you hear about that? I did. John Podesta. Yeah. In an interview where he says that it was forces within the FBI that wanted Hillary to lose that cost her the election. Not his emails. Yeah, no, not his emails. No, no, no. He needs to change his password. Not the fact that uh, Hillary Clinton was closely tied to Anthony Weiner, which this started a whole snowball effect and that she was taken down by those in her own inner circle. Not that. No, no. No, it was the FBI. I'm not sure. They were prepared to, you know, they really understood the alternative, uh, but they wanted her to lose. I think that's one possibility. Can you assure the American people and the Bernie Sanders supporters who you now have to court that there isn't anything coming from this FBI investigation that's going to change the course of your campaign? Absolutely. You're confident? Absolutely, yes. You're not suggesting the FBI investigations politicized. No, but there's two different things. There is a security inquiry going on, and, you know, we... Respect that. I am, you know, personally not concerned about it. I have to let them decide how to resolve uh, their security inquiry, but I'm not at all worried about it. I think we're getting closer and closer to wrapping this up, and I'm looking forward to this being wrapped up. And I am looking forward to seeing this matter wrapped up. No, the FBI resolved all of this. Their report answered all the questions. I I am grateful for the professionalism of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Oh boy, <laughs> nice, that was good, right? Nice hearing hear from Hill Dog again. That was a nice piece, wasn't it? Yeah, it was they very did a nice. good job. Yeah, they did a good. They got they got a good editor. I think he listens to the show, <laughs> so hat tip to him. Thank you, uh, everybody, for helping out this week at unfiltered.reddit.com. If you haven't been there in a while, why not stop by and give us your insights, link to stories, or even clips that you'd like to see in the show? Unfiltered.reddit.com. You know we do the show live on a Wednesday. You can find out in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. That's right. Now, Chris, now during the course of the week, I know you're also working on other things like 
personal video vlogs. Yeah, yeah, I did one Where a, can, a little behind the scenes yesterday. Yeah, I saw that little Linux unplugged yeah, action. Where yeah. can people find that? YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher, my name. What about you, buddy? Got anything online? I do. You can follow me on the Twitters at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Oh. I do some geeky and gaming things at Geek Gamer TV. Just came off of a great LAN party down in Olympia, Oregon. That was a lot of fun. Playing a lot cool, of computer dude. games. Battlefield and nice. Rocket League and things like that. It's always good fun. Too. Dude, nice. Yeah. Nice. Man. When's the last time you played a game? Boy, it's... Yeah, see? Yeah. It... See? Come on, man. You got online. Mm-hmm. Go. Hmm, that's a good point. Yeah. At Jupiter Signal to follow the network to get announcements about show releases when show times change. If you'd like to give us an email, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. You gotta be in Club 33 to get it read on the show, but you can still write the show and let us know your thoughts at the contact page. JBLive.tv is where you watch it. That's right. And if you're on YouTube and you're still watching, give us a thumbs up for long form content. Stick around, the overtime's still coming up. In some ways, the show's just getting started. Oh, it's getting warmed that up. That overtime, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. I might right. even make an appearance. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Yep. because those guys claim the show's over. We're not done yet. That's fake news! It's time for the Unfilter Overtime! Brought to you by Patreon.com slash Unfilter. Oh, it's good to be with you. Let's be honest, the show's really just starting out. That was warm-up. That was pre-show. Let's start off by thanking the patrons that made this segment possible this week. A big thank you to Sean Z, Dark, Phil, Andrew G, Justine, Chris H, Michael B, Karen, and Zan? Or maybe it's Jan. Starts with an X. Your, your guess is as good as mine. Thank you for supporting us at patreon.com slash unfilter. This show is a ton of, ton of, ton of work. I cannot express how much work it is and how much I appreciate your recognition of that hard work by supporting us at our Patreon page. Adam Curry coined the term, and it couldn't be well, or it couldn't be better suited. Value for value, the man is a genius. It really is a lot of hard work. But when I read that list and I see new names on there, every single time I feel the appreciation. So thank you guys for keeping the show on the air. This segment's dedicated to you and all of our supporters at patreon.com. Slash Unfilter. Say we start oh, no, with no, no, oh Nancy. No, what? No, huh? no, no, no. Hey. Hey, who let that guy back in here? Get him out of here. He doesn't have a say anymore on what we cover. So this is my new favorite uh, segment in the overtime. Oh Nancy. And uh, it wanders, it wanders a bit from time to time, but it <laughs> it makes me smile this week. 
We start with good old Maxine Wa- uh, Waters, who is a close friend of uh, Nancy, part of that same wing of the Democratic Party. <laughs> Donald Trump right there signing an executive order on historical black colleges and universities, saying that they will now be a priority. Joining me now to talk about this is Congressman Elliot Engel, Democrat of New York, and Congresswoman Maxine Waters, a Democrat of California. So, Congresswoman... Oh, shit! What is she going to do? Oh, man, an executive order specifically designed to take the administration from the bureaucracy of the, of the, of the U.S. government, this bureaucracy, <laughs> and move it to the White House, where the White House can directly oversee proper funding for primarily black colleges. This is an executive order targeted directly to benefit the black community, almost guaranteed to raise funds more, make it easier to get credit and all those kinds of wonderful things for higher education. Isn't this just great? But old Nancy Waters, Nancy Waters, what Nancy, <laughs> Maxine Waters here, she can't be pro-Trump. She can't say pro, she's the impeach now gal. Uh, let me start with you. President Trump just signed that executive order and now leaders of those schools uh, that you saw in that image uh, are going to be meeting with the vice president. They're going to be, be meeting with Republicans on Capitol Hill. Where's my camera? Where's my camera? You see, she's looking around. She's searching the entire time that woman's talking. She's not listening. She's not listening at all. She was looking for her camera the entire time. Meanwhile, the guy standing next door has been looking dead on the camera awkwardly the entire time. This doesn't seem like it should be a partisan uh, executive order. Why were are they only meeting with Republicans and not Democrats? Oh, there we go. Well, MSNBC finds the partisan thing. It is it, it is the it is the negative spin on what is otherwise an absolutely positive story. Well, uh, I don't know what the executive order means. I just heard about it for the first time. I didn't hear about any money, any new resources, and so uh, the devil is in the details. And of course, uh, whenever you're talking about increasing uh, the budget, uh, the Republicans are very selective. They increase it for what they want, but oftentimes they will not support increases for, um, you know, black efforts, for uh, poor efforts, etc. Which is specifically what they're doing right now. As a matter of fact, I'm so worried uh, that the president is proposing a $54 billion budget for the Defense Department, and he's talking about taking it out of the hides of all of these <laughs> other programs. Uh, that need money so desperately. So I don't know what this executive order is. I certainly will be trying to dissect it. Uh-huh, yeah, sure you will. And see what it really means. So far, what we do know about it is that it's going to move an initiative to assist HBCUs from the Education Department uh, into the White House, basically giving the White House more oversight into that. Also, this background audio is so bad it's so bad now watch uh nancy and water or nancy and waters <laughs> i think this is my new favorite name for her needs to move it she uh she gets there so this guy hasn't talked yet the guy standing next to her so she goes to ask a question to him and uh, maxine takes over disrespect well, well I, no, it I, is I, not. I, it is. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. He still tries to answer. You not showing up to... The- oh, yeah, but there. by the way, the question is, hey, Maxine, why aren't you going to go to the uh, the congressional address tonight? Why aren't you going to that congressional address? Hey, then you not showing up the to this joint to address, which is about the country more so than it's about the president, is the same sort of uh, <laughs> disrespect. Oh, man. Well, well I, no, it I, is I, not. I, it yeah. is absolutely not. Watch his face. And you cannot compare the two. Uh, this is ceremonial. And in this ceremony people 
she's been saying this over and over again on different networks. She's got a whole line ready to go. And look at the guy next to him. Just, she just, this old bat just keeps running her mouth. Uh, they smile, they shake hands, they hug each other, they honor the president. I'm not about any of that. I'm prepared to interact with the president only uh, when he puts up his budget and his agenda that I'm going to have to fight. So so she's only prepared to talk to Trump. What did she just? What did this? What did she just say? Uh, when he puts up his budget uh-huh. and his agenda, that I'm going to have to fight. So you're already preemptively planning to fight him, and the only time you're going to deal with him is when you fight him. So let's not talk about this ceremony. How are you ever going to not fight? In relationship to you know public policy, real public policy. Speaking, I don't choose to go. I don't choose to go. Oh, that's I right. don't choose to honor him. I've said that. Again, the question was not directed to her. And I won't be a part of. The ceremony, and Speaking that's that. Speaking of shaking, say, let, wait, I need my chance to talk. Let me talk. Let me say that. Uh, come on now, I should go. Hold on, I haven't got a chance to talk. She ran her mouth. Speaking let of me shaking, say, let, let me say that, that ahead, I, 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 I will go. Uh, I will be there. I just will not be standing on the aisle. It goes on. It goes on for another three minutes, but uh, she just, uh, the audio is so bad that I, I'll leave it in the supporter sync if you want to watch the rest. Uh, here's Nancy uh, talking about uh, President Trump's speech. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, what was that? Did you hear that? Did you catch that? Yeah, that's Nancy Pelosi. Upstairs. All right, joining us now is fixing Nancy Pelosi's microphone. House Minority Leader, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi of California. And in just a moment, we're going to bring in former Kentucky Governor oh, Steve Beshear, who delivered the Democrats' response to President Trump's address. But Leader Pelosi, we'll start with you. Come your on. reaction last night, I saw you uh, a couple of times shaking your head, quiet, resolute, oh, yeah, taking it in. Was. Well, your I was reaction. very proud of the dignity with which our members uh, <laughs> uh, listened to a speech, which was clearly a bait-and-switch speech, and the president they did such a good job listening, guys. Uh, talk's a good talk, but the fact is, is that show us it's three months, almost three months since he's been elected. Wait a minute, wait a minute, almost three months. We've been calling it the first 30 days. What happened to the first 30 days? Uh, 41 days oh. uh, uh, since he has been president. So it's been 41 days, <laughs> okay. And we still haven't seen what the, we're legislators. So if you want to talk, show us your proposal and we'll go from there. He, talk, he hasn't had a proposal on jobs, on infrastructure, not even renegotiating NAFTA, which he promised. So there are many uh, representations made, but not too much. Is there anything hopeful? So I thought I would uh, just uh, go to compare and contrast. I went and looked up uh, President Obama's first uh, actual signed legislation in the first 30 days. Now, there was two things he signed. One seems fairly positive. The other was to increase troop deployments by 17,000 in Afghanistan. Okay. So that's what Obama got done legislation-wise. Now, we're not talking executive orders because obviously she's not talking executive orders. So if you want to use that, if you want to use that measuring stick, I'm not sure that's a great comparison. For you, Any openings did you see there? Well, it depends on what he's going to say, for example, about infrastructure. As you know, Joe, that has really never been a partisan issue. We've right. It's weird that she goes to Joe there. Come together on that, except when President Obama proposed it, of course, the Republicans <laughs> rejected it. But nonetheless, if he has an infrastructure plan that really is a good plan or that we can right. work together on. But if it's a tax bill disguised as infrastructure, that's not a place. So let, let, let's do some inside baseball here. Yeah, I sure. was commenting on the speech. What was striking, sitting for the first time on the Democratic side, Elijah Cummings invited right. me, 
was, again, you talked about the dignity that the Democrats showed. It's been a really tumultuous, divided year and a half. And yeah. yet, I think the, the minority party, uh, which Republicans shouted out, you lie. I've heard Democrats hiss uh, Republican presidents in the past. But last night, quiet, dignified. Dignified. Was, was there a conversation about that before you all went onto the floor? What a stupid-ass question. No, all of the women randomly, by chance, not all, but most of the women randomly by chance in, in the Democratic Party side showed up in white outfits. Just total accident, total, total, total chance. Uh, as far as how the caucus was going to be more respectful? What happens in the caucus stays? <laughs> <laughs> Even in the best of times. So there's uh, let's move on because the interview boy, the interview goes on and on. Lots of lots of lots of time for Nancy on the air. But uh, I thought this one was uh, kind of an interesting interview. I've been watching Nancy's tape and said, I think she's incompetent. <laughs> Actually, you know, if you look at what's going on with uh, the Democrats and the party, it's getting smaller and smaller, you know. In a certain way, I hate to see it because I like a two-party system. And we're soon going to have a one-party system. I actually think a two-party system is healthy and good. But she's done a terrible job. So she's wrong. Well, I don't think she's a good spokesman. She's certainly wrong. There are those that saved them more than anybody in 100 days. Hey, look, just at the money I've saved. President Trump slamming Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi joins me now. Madam Leader, welcome. I see you're wearing your suffragette white. I am. And my suffragette purple. And your suffragette purple, uh, dressed for, the, for tonight. Your response to the president. Well, he's, he's commenting on my statement that he made that nobody knew. Nobody knew. This already sounds like high school. Well, he got upset because I said to Nancy, and then Nancy told Andrea, and Andrea told everybody on the TV that Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing. How complicated uh, health care legislation is. And what I said was, uh, it reminded me of a Yogi Berra joke where Yogi Berra brings home a report card and his father has to sign it. And his father says, Yogi, don't you know anything? And he says, no, I don't even suspect anything. That reminds me of President Trump. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that would upset him. <laughs> That's good, though. Uh, then you got the new guy, the new guy running the DNC. You're now seeing Republicans call for a special investigation of what happened in the run-up to the election. Goddamn McCain. Jeez. And I think there has to be an independent investigation. This here is Tom Perez, the new DNC chairman, the guy that's locking in the DNC establishment. I'm sure there's going to be lots of reform and improvements for the Democratic Party. Going to win a lot of elections with this guy. You can't have um, the attorney general who was out on the stump for the president uh, doing that investigation. That's disrespectful to all foxes. He's out on the stump, huh? I mean, I'm not I'm not a Sessions fan, but out on the stump because he endorsed Trump early. That means he was out on the stump to call it the fox guarding the hen house. Oh, good. Getting the fox guarding the hen house meme in there. And uh, we have to make sure that it, it is fair and independent. If the, if the um, tables had been turned and Hillary Clinton had won the presidency with the help of Donald Trump, with, with the help of Putin, I, I confuse Putin and Trump because they're so similar. <laughs> and um, and, and uh, the, the help of all this hacking. The Republicans, you know, how many Benghazi hearings did they have? Fifteen? I mean, they, there would have been articles of impeachment filed already. Yeah, but what happened in Benghazi is actually a scandal. 
a leader of a sovereign country was murdered. We lost an ambassador. An ambassador died. Okay? That's not like a, that's not something. When's the last time you heard about an ambassador dying? And so I hope that this independent investigation is done. And I'm glad finally to see some Republicans calling for it as well. Man, you know, it just really sucks because you'd love to see the new DNC leadership kind of step up and try to put all of the stupid Russia bullshit behind them. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi sort of had a Jeb Bush moment. She kept like it's not F, it wasn't full on Jeb, but she definitely had like a Jeb moment. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you remember, right? So here's my pledge to you. I will be a commander in chief that will have the back of the military. I won't trash talk. I won't be a divider in chief or an agitator in chief. I won't be out there blowharding, talking a big, big game without backing it up. I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. And that's the moment his campaign died. You know, it's interesting. You can almost you can hear in that in that in that twenty seconds up to that moment why he didn't why he didn't get any traction. The next president needs to be more quiet. I don't think that's what the electoral wanted. So let's go back to Nancy because this is her semi jeb moment. Although this is worse in some sense because she just sort of rambles and repeats the same words and then starts prompting the audience for applause. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome for your very very generous. Uh-huh. Uh, Recanting of what happened at the time. What? Uh, let me- this is a historic opportunity for us, an opportunity of a generation, and we are not let it, going to let it pass. Affordable Care Act will stand there with Social Security, with Medicare and Medicare. Some you take what? satisfaction in the role Medicaid? the Families USA played in all of this. We simply could not have done it without you. And we could not have done it without Barack Obama. When I called him that night to... And by the way, when I said we could not have done it without Families USA and without you, that is an applause line (laughs) for you. (laughs) Frederick understood that. So, Frederick, good luck to you and congratulations to you. I look forward to continuing work with Families USA under your leadership. Thank you and congratulations. Applause line. Medicaid is uh, treats uh, uh, is there for many poor children. Oh, the children. Many poor children. And by yeah, the children. way, do you know who the poorest people in America are? Don't say children. Infants and children. Oh, damn it. Infants and children. Oh, she did it again. With the opioid epidemic uh-huh. and addiction and the rest. Yeah. Medicaid is there. In fact, don't take it from me. Oh, that's just Medicaid. Kasich, the governor of Illinois said, Ohio. thank God for Medicaid. So earlier she says Medicare. Now she's gone to Medicaid. She 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 said Kasich was from where did she say Kasich was from? The opioid epidemic and addiction and the rest. Medicaid is there. In fact, don't take it from me. John Kasich, the governor of Illinois. Yeah, that's Ohio, by the way. Said, thank God for Medicaid. That seems like a detail that she might know. As Martin Luther King said, of all the Martin Luther what? As Martin Luther what said? As Martin Luther King said, of all Saint. What'd she just say? As Martin Luther King said, of all the inequality have oh seen, the most uh, damaging, and, and he used a different word, is the, the inequality of access to health care. Wow. That is, she is she's got to go. She's got to go. I mean, she, I don't know what kind of condition she has, but she's, she's not looking good for the DNC leadership. 
Um, this is kind of a fun one, too. Why don't we wrap it up with a little uh, Maxine Waters supercut? And so, no, I have no intention, no intention. of pretending everything's all right. And my greatest desire is to lead him right into impeachment. I have not called for the impeachment yet. She was not ready yet to talk about uh, talk about impeachment. I'm ready to talk about it. We cannot continue uh, to have a president who's acting in this manner. Well, I hope he's not there for four years. This is the most outrageous and ridiculous president that this country has ever had. He's done everything to show that he really doesn't have good values. I don't honor him. I don't respect him. Him, and I don't want to be involved with it. No, I don't trust him. I don't believe him. I have no intentions of sitting down with him. There's <laughs> nothing about him that I would want to be involved with. I'm not welcoming him. I won't rejoice in him being the president. <laughs> I was never going to go to the inauguration. Oh, no, I won't go. Oh, no. I'm not going to sit down with him. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to pretend. Wrapping his arms around Putin. That's right. Uh, while uh, Putin is continuing uh, to advance uh, into, into Korea, Korea, yeah, entangled with this Kremlin clan of his, I'm wondering: was there any collusion between yeah. him and Putin and between the you and Hillary? This clan, oh. this Kremlin clan, but to take over, you know, all of these Soviet countries. Oh. And take- Well, let me just say this. Mike Previs, your government try to take away your constitutional rights. This is a bunch of scumbags. That's what they are. Those are- uh, we bend over backwards to work with people. These are a bunch of scumbags. Secretary- <laughs> Us fighting the power. Oh, yeah. There you go. A little co- montage of Maxine Waters. That was well done. That was well done. That was a good one. Oh, geez. That, that concludes... Oh, Nancy. She, now it could be, oh, Nancy, oh, Maxine, and that new DNC guy. God, Perez. John McCain has some dirty secrets, and one of them is starting to get a little more attention, and people are poking around. He's trying to pull a Clinton Foundation. John McCain has launched, he's had it for, I think, a while. I'm not quite sure on the timing. The McCain Institute, which, yeah, you guessed it, basically a knockoff of the Clinton Foundation. And guess who's been possibly funding McCain via this nonprofit? Can you guess that one? If you guessed Saudis, you guessed right. Senator John McCain getting testy today over questions about a million dollar donation from the government of Saudi Arabia, the money going to a nonprofit that bears McCain's name. McCain said he has nothing to do with the nonprofit, but course, that's no. not what ethics experts say. Bram Resnick has the story. Yeah, Mark, foreign governments like Saudi Arabia's aren't allowed to donate money to American politicians, so they often give to nonprofits linked to the politicians. Senator McCain claimed today there was no link, and after a few minutes, he cut off questions about the donation. Senator John McCain is one of the capital's most important voices on matters of war and peace. Thank God for the Saudis and Prince Bandar. We're starting to see a little bit 
a reversal there. We're now learning the government of Saudi Arabia donated $1 million to the McCain Institute for International Leadership, a nonprofit that bears the senator's name. Now, you remember last week we said that John McCain had accidentally solicited financing, campaign financing during his presidential run from the Russian ambassador who uh, died last week. And I have the documents linked in the show notes. And now we hear this. I'm proud that the Institute is named after me, but I have nothing to do with it and except that they use my name, which I am honored, just as the Goldwater Institute uses Goldwater's name. Yeah, just like that. But not like the Clinton Foundation. Not like that. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's been pummeled over foreign contributions to the nonprofit Clinton Foundation. Has she? Has she? I kind of feel like the whole Clinton Foundation shit didn't come up very much. I mean, yeah, Trump dropped the name from time to time, but did they really dig into the Clinton Foundation? I mean, just the Saudi connections alone should be pretty solid or bills, finance, bills like big checks, big birthday present cash donations, bill speaking engagements or during the time uranium deposits were being negotiated. You know, big things like that could just use a little bit of more investigation. Did they did they really did they really the Goldwater Institute uses Goldwater's name. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's been pummeled over foreign contributions to the nonprofit Clinton Foundation. McCain laughed off any comparison. Look, my friend, look at what <laughs> Clinton Institute has raised in the form of money. I mean, come on. There's no connection there. No the connection. Government ethics no connection. watchdogs say there's a reason the McCain Institute is getting Saudi money. And anyone who's going to give, chip in a million dollars or more to the McCain Institute is going to get John McCain's ear. McCain's positions on the of Middle course. East largely square with Saudi Arabia's. This is this is in Saudi Arabia's interest to try to influence John McCain. Very much. Anybody who's been watching this show, even for maybe a month, knows that. I mean, that's obvious. McCain's Republican primary opponent, Kelly Ward, has questions about that influence. And with all the turmoil in the Middle East, I don't want any um, any touch of impropriety that could. Um... Oh, Kelly, you are so naive. You're the kind of person that ends up dead. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but these type of people, that they're so naive that once you stop getting media attention in a few weeks, you just end up dead. Um, come along with that. But McCain drew the line on questions about the Saudi donation. One more question about the McCain Institute. No. Kind of st- I've answered all the questions. I, I have answered all the questions. You are a son of a I'm bitch. answer on it. McCain established the Institute three, four years ago at Arizona State University with ah, an $8 million dollar gift of cash left over from his 2008 presidential campaign. In the newsroom, Bram Resnick, 12 News. That's what they do. That's what they do. If that's, that's the, that's the, that is such a key piece of information. I'm going to play it again, even though I know you all caught it. I just I want to talk about it one more time with you because that's, that's why it's worth running for president, even if you don't win. This, I think, is this is a really good point. The Institute three, four years ago at Arizona State University with an $8 million gift of cash left over from his 2008 presidential campaign. And then- so then you can stay politically relevant. You run for president. You get, you get a certain cachet added to your political brand. Plus, you roll the money you have left over if you run it right into an institute like this, which you can set up. And when you – and the I don't have any connections to it. This is, this is all pretty well outlined in books like Clinton Cash or the YouTube documentary that you could just go search. Uh, but there's other there's other places that outline this too. You do this through through a series of LLCs and shell companies. It's just as stupid and basic as you would conceptualize. These massive political influence scams 
are all set up around little itty bitty shell corporations. And like in the case of the Clintons, the shell corporations are, are, are named like William Jefferson Accounting or something like that. Instead of Bill Clinton, William Jefferson, his middle name, Jefferson. William Jefferson Accounting, William Jefferson Exports. Think, I, I'm, I'm making, I'm just, I don't remember the names. But that's how they, they, they set up these additional little companies. And then that's where money comes in and out of. Now, all of a sudden, that little company is doing business with the McCain Institute or with the Clinton Foundation. And this is where the money moves around. So, yeah, they don't have any connection to the Institute or the, or the Foundation, but they do happen to have a connection to the Shell Company. So, technically, he can say, I don't have a direct connection. And he's, from a tax standpoint and an accounting standpoint, he's not lying. So it's, it's brilliant. Same with Bill Clinton. That's how Bill Clinton does it. It's great. Now, uh, Chelsea doesn't have that benefit because she's directly employed. Uh, let's move on to a new story that we're starting to track now. We've been following it offline. I want to start following it in the overtime so that way we can bump it up into the main show in a couple of weeks. If, if hopefully we don't need to, but if we do have to, and you guys will have the context. And now this box has alert several evacuations after threats to Jewish centers across the country, including a reported bomb scare at one Jewish community center in Wynwood, uh, Pennsylvania. We're hearing reports of similar situations in Delaware, in New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, and Indiana. And just this weekend, dozens of headstones were desecrated at a Jewish cemetery in Philadelphia. Uh, these threats have been going on for weeks. We will bring you more on this developing story as we get it. Mm, Veritunda links us a very interesting looking graphic. Uh in the uh, chat room. Nice to see you, Mr. Tunda, and uh, thank you for linking. I'll try to pull it up here for a second. I don't think it's going to – I don't think it will display very well on the stream. But it says the Clintons have raised $4 billion in support of their political and philanthropic – that's how you say that – efforts over four decades. Nearly all the funds went to support six federal campaigns and their family foundation. Um, see the numbers. Looks like they come from the John Munkskins and Meta Gold and the Washington Post. Anyways – that's in the uh, chat room. You could probably find that. Uh, yeah. So this, uh, and then one more, one more on uh, this story before we before we move on. This is the NBC report. More anxiety-filled moments at America's Jewish community centers and day schools evacuating today. It was scary for everybody. It was a. I'm not going to lie. It's a horrible situation. What's going on these days? Why would you? Why would you lie? Why would you lie about that? Why do you need to make that disclaimer? The latest wave of bomb threats targeted 21 places in the eastern half of the country, but they were just threats. In Philadelphia, this is why the FBI opened a hate crimes investigation. More than 100 headstones toppled at Mount Carmel Jewish Cemetery. Here, Mark Weissman, alone and with strangers, tried to summon superhuman strength to write the memorial of his grandparents, Arthur and Frieda Stern. It had to be hatred. Not specifically for them, but because of what religion they were. Aaron Malin discovered the destruction yesterday. I hope it doesn't have anything to do with you know, the political environment in the country, um, but right. it's, it's hard to say. Stones Rabbi Adam Zeff says... In was he asked about that? That sounds like he was asked about that. that you know, listen, to the way he's, listen to the way he's answering that. Because of it sounds like he's answering. What religion they were. Aaron Malin discovered the destruction yesterday. I hope it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the political environment in the country. So I don't I don't really like it when the reporter goes in with a specific agenda. Um, if you've ever been interviewed, I, even your local news, you know what I'm talking about, where they will prompt you with a series of questions that guide the interview in a direction that they want. 
um, but it's it's hard to say. These stones. That Rabbi Adam Zeff says in the Jewish tradition, caring for the dead is the ultimate test of love and loyalty. And hearing today about the bomb threat against the elementary school that my my children went to, um, it, it, that that context makes it extremely hard. So NBC goes all in on the report. We'll keep following to see if this. And uh, you saw and you you heard Donald Trump uh, mention it. Uh, in his congressional address. Speaking of Donald Trump, let's let's do a little deep dive. I, I I pushed off the Trump to give you guys a chance to rebuild your buffers for those of you who get triggered a little bit. And I understand. So I I filled us out. I I gave us I gave us a nice solid old Nancy, right? Right? Yeah. We talked about uh, a lot of other things. So now we got to talk a little more Trump. Now this is uh, not exactly Trump related. This is Steve Bannon. We're going to start here. He made a quote unquote rare is the meme appearance at. CPAC. It's in, how can you say rare? It's, it's rare in the sense that he hasn't done a lot yet, but it's only been 40 days. Maybe he'll do more. But I, anyways, so Steve Bannon, he's at CPAC. This is sort of a hi, uh, highlights reel. I'll just play a few minutes of it, of what he had to say at CPAC. If you look at, you know, the opposition party and how they portrayed the campaign, how they portrayed the transition and now the portrayed – Stop here. So I should probably – opposition party is the media in his parlance. He's sitting next to Rance Priebus where they're there having their bromance trying to show the world that they get along. Steve Bannon is Donald Trump's chief strategist. He's the one that has all of the controversy. He's Cheney 2.0. The administration, it's according to everybody. I'll back it up so you have that context. So there's there's Priebus, there's Rance right there, uh, looking very much like a man named Rance. And then here uh, goes Bannon. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Bannon is he's wearing two collared shirts plus an undershirt. He's wearing two button-up shirts with collars, an undershirt, and then a sports jacket. If you look at you know the opposition party and how they portrayed the campaign, how they portrayed the transition, and now they're, they're portraying the administration, it's always wrong. I mean, on, on the very first day that Kellyanne and I started, we reached out to Ryan, Sean Spicer, Katie. It's the same team that you know every day was grinding away on the campaign. The same team that did the transition. And if you remember, you know the campaign was the most chaotic. You know by the media's description, most chaotic, most disorganized, most unprofessional. Had no earthly idea what they were doing. And then you saw them all crying and weeping that night on, on, on the 8th when, when and, and the reason it worked, the reason it worked is, is, is President Trump. I mean, Trump had those ideas, had that energy, had that vision that could galvanize a team around him of disparate look. We're a coalition. You know, a lot of people think, you know, have strong beliefs about different things, but we understand that you can come together to win. And we understood that from August 15th. And, and we never had a doubt and Donald Trump never had a doubt that he was going to win. Yeah, I don't know about that, but he talked, he says several times in there, you can see he's a real Trump believer that they have a team to grind out all of his promises. They're going to grind them out. All right. Very good, I suppose. This was a little telling. This is an interview with uh, Trump's uh, uh, transportation secretary. To a joint session of Congress, President Trump talked about the need to fix America's crumbling infrastructure. Let's watch this. To launch our national rebuilding. I'm going to jump ahead a bit because uh, we're good. Elaine Chow, uh, Madam Secretary, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, okay, Transportation Secretary, sorry. Oh, thanks for having me. Can you explain the public-private capital and how that's going to work? So Hannity's asking, how the hell are you going to fund a trillion-dollar infrastructure project? That's the, pre- that's the question. You know, the needs of our nation to improve our infrastructure is so great. 
Oh, God. It's already going off the rails. That the federal government cannot assume the cost for all of it. Okay, I think she's starting to get there. So it behooves us as a nation to address the deteriorating infrastructure by thinking about new and innovative ways in which we can fund our infrastructure. Um, so I've heard infrastructure a few times. And so President Trump has so many really exciting and novel ideas about how to finance our deteriorating infrastructure. Is there some sort of rule when you're in Trump's administration that before you can actually talk about policy, you got to suck dick for 20 seconds? Why is she just talking about nothing and now she's just complimenting Trump for his innovative ideas? So that once again, we will become more competitive in the worldwide environment. What is happening? so that America can be great once again. Sean, you got to bail her out, boy. So public-private partnerships are a very important part of financing, of a new way of financing uh, our roads and bridges that are in disrepair. So um, she didn't explain anything, but she did say something about public-private financing. And are very dangerous. Can you explain that, he says? Yeah, I will. Okay. So basically, we allow foreign, uh, we allow different kinds of money, private sector money, to come into the United States. I'm not saying foreign. Oh. To come. No. And not Russian. Definitely not Russian. Definitely, definitely not Russian. To come into the United States. I'm not saying foreign. No. To come and fund, let's say, a bridge or a road. Or it can be um, any kind of infrastructure. Uh, by the way, I should also add that the uh, so not public roads. President's initiative on infrastructure will include probably energy, uh-huh. water, uh-huh. broadband. Sure. So it's not just roads no. and bridges. No, privatize all the things. Infrastructure that will make our country more competitive. Say great. Going forward. So, Sean, um, you got you to gotta explain what's going on here. So, public-private you know, partnership on, allows private Sean, sector money to come into the economy. This is almost, she's almost a parody. She seems like a Saturday Night Live, a Saturday Night Live skit. She seems like a, a parody of what a politician would be like. Sean, you got to step in. And fund public works. So far, right now, there are so many so, impediments Sean. to allowing private sector monies to come in. Sean! And we so should Madam do Secretary, away with all those impediments. Sean, yes. come on! Well, so maybe, if I'm hearing you properly, maybe what you're saying is that, for example, if a company were to rebuild a road, they might get their investment back by, say, having a toll on that road, and this way the taxpayers <laughs> don't pay a penny. Lead the witness much there. They make a profit. It's a win-win. Something like that. Yeah, thank you for putting it that way. <laughs> no, she did not. Did that just happen? Did that just happen? Yeah, thank you for putting it that way. Oh, man, Trump. Who, who did you nominate? Who is this woman? What is going on? What is happening? I thought this was a fascinating piece on CNN. This is um, they're having a problem because you see, it seems like every time they try to fact check the president or say something's not true, it ends up just amplifying his message. And God darn it, they're sick and tired of that. And so Brian over there at CNN, their media analyst guy, has brought in somebody to psychoanalyze the news and tell us why CNN is acting as an amplifier for Trump's destructive messages. George, what have we been doing wrong trying to fact-check the president? 
Well, first of all, you do need the facts, but you need to know how to present those facts because if you just negate what he's saying, um, mm-hmm. you're going to just strengthen him. So uh, remember, Richard Nixon said, I am not a crook, and people thought of him as a crook. I wrote a book called Don't Think of an Elephant. It makes you think of an elephant. If you say, uh, repeat uh, Donald, what Donald Trump says and then negate it and say, no, he, and then you repeat what he says and say it's false, what you're doing is strengthening that because in your brain, the neural circuits have to activate what you are negating in order to negate it, and that strengthens what you're negating. I've actually heard this before. I've never had audio of it. I think I've read it. So this is not – I want to play that part again because it's fascinating. So when you are debunking something, the brain has to activate a neuron for the thing and then activate a neuron to say it's false. So in some sense, you're, cre- you're creating more connections for that very thing. That is, that is tremendously fascinating to me. No, he, and then you repeat what he says and say it's false. What you're doing is strengthening that because in your brain, the neural circuits have to activate what you're negating in order to negate it, and that strengthens what you're negating. And I think the way Trump speaks plays directly into that. The way he repeats words, the way he says things, I think plays into that way of our, the way our brain is wired. Uh, speaking of uh, things that uh, are playing into Trump's hands. Market loved it. That was President Trump on the stock market's performance since his election and today. The Dow hitting 21,000 for the first time ever. Investors seemed to like what the president had to say last night. Lori Rothman is at the New York Stock Exchange to break it all down for us. It's like a party down there today, Lori. The folks are jubilant down here, Melissa. As you know, we had a pause leading up to today's huge session because investors are really concerned that Trump would drop the ball last night, and as you know, he just knocked it out of the park. He delivered <laughs> and then some. So essentially, the traders are telling so. me that Trump really locked in his promises and reassured investors that the gains we've seen in the market since Election Day, something like 14.5% on the Dow alone, 2,600-plus points, are justified. So, hey, it's no holds bar. We're up over 300 points right now. Damn. It is crazy. Hey, buddy, how's it going over there, Mr. Chase? Not too bad. How are you? Good, good. I got uh, just, uh, I think, two more things to get us the hell out of here. Nice. Well, I got a lot of, I got a lot of other really good stuff in the, um, in the overtime, including one of Russia Today's best clips I've ever seen them do in a while. They, they named, and you know what? Maybe I should just play this part. They name and shame some of these journalists that are coming on and doing commentary. And I thought I thought this was kind of great because I've always wondered why they didn't actually be this aggressive. Off, meet John Schindler, former NSA officer and Naval War College professor, often guest on major outlets and speaking events, talking about, you know, spy stuff. Known on Twitter as Twenty Committee, his feed is a Klondike for conspiracy theorists where he either pushes surreal suggestions like this one or believes he speaks to the intelligence community and claims Trump will die in jail, all presumably from the comfort of his hot tub with a cold one in his grasp. There's uh, one problem. Though, according to the 2014 Associated Press reporting, John Schindler was fired from the Naval War College for apparently sharing a picture of his intimate part with some woman who later put it on Twitter. Schindler himself tweeted that he severed his affiliation with the college, not citing the incident which led to that, and reportedly apologized for his behavior on the blog, but the apology has apparently been taken down. Next up is former British MP Louise Mensch, also a regular appearance on morning MSNBC shows, talking about guess what? 
Russia, which apparently she has no clue of, just as that she has no clue the late Leonard Cohen was a Canadian based on that famous tweet of hers. The Russia expert on MSNBC also wanted precision bombing raids on Russia, suggested that all major political campaigns in the United States, including that of Bernie Sanders, were financed by the Kremlin, and even suggested that Putin murdered Andrew Breitbart and the founder of this network. There's only one tiny issue here, and that is Mencher's admission from just years ago. She's a druggie. Uh, so that was, I thought, kind of interesting. Just uh, just uh, them actually calling out a few people on there. Um, I want to play something for you, and I want to get I want to get your uh, your take on this. Okay. All right. Sean Hannity goes to visit President Bush, and uh, does this seem like a man who's hiding a deep dark suit? I mean, something's going on inside this man's head. Yeah. So they've built. So Bush has got himself uh, a Clinton Foundation style uh, setup going on, and in this museum. They gave him something to do, and that's a place to hang up his paintings. So it's this huge political apparatus built around the former president. And well, all former presidents have libraries. Though. Yeah, this this has been taking a while to get up and running. It's taken him a little while to get this going. So now we're up and going. we got a building. Okay. Right. And so he's inviting the press to bring him in. And uh, he's showing Sean Hannity his paintings, which seem to me – I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's almost like they betray something about the man that is – is a little odd. So, uh, like, I'll give you, I'll give you an example here as we just sort of okay. file through this here. All right. This is, uh, this is, this is, of course, we're getting this whole tour. But I thought this one was particularly interesting. Now, here is the, uh, this is the piece. This is sixteen feet long. Fifteen yeah. long, right? Yeah. And uh, th- this is, you know, uh, I painted, as you can see, except for these two guys. The uniforms were pretty uniform <laughs> mm-hmm. because they were all part of something. Even though in different branches of the service, they were part of something bigger than themselves, serving the country. You know what we're looking at? Isn't this the the mural of heroes? And when you see him in the face, Chase, he seems like he's not even there. Yeah, he is. It's America. It's people from all walks of life who put on the uniform. You see that? It's like the band's not even there. Nah, I don't get that. And they volunteered to do so. uh, Maybe that's just his casual talking face. What an amazing country. And, and he is older, too, so, you know, maybe his facial right. features don't show too much. And one should not feel sorry for them, but we ought to be thankful to them. Okay. We ought to be thankful. And we ought to help them. And that's what we do here at the Bush Center. That's why I'm so thankful you came down, because I want to talk about, uh, to vets who are listening, get on the BushCenter.org website. We can help you find a job, and we can help you deal with your invisible wounds of war. Something about him seems a little disconnected. It's, it's an odd thing. All right, just two – I won't play these clips. I just wanted to let people know they're in the supporter sync, and you can also dig around and find them on uh, YouTube. We're going to go out with a little Maxine Waters. <laughs> Maxine Waters was called by pranksters, uh, uh, Ukrainian pranksters, I think, uh, and pretended to be uh, the uh, – uh, pretended to be uh, – I can't remember. But, jeez, it's in here. Here we go. Here we go. Hello? Hello. 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 Good morning, uh Dear representative, this is Prime Minister of Ukraine, there you go. Vladimir Groisman. Good morning, this is Maxine Waters. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> oh, I already love it. This is Maxine Waters. I'm glad to hear you. First of all, I want to tell you that um, we are really appreciate what you do regarding our country. So that you can uh, get the rest of it. It's pretty good. But it gets even better. They also prank called John McCain. Hello, Mr. Prime Minister. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Hello, dear Senator. How are you? 
Well, um, I've been reading about the new attacks. So this is an interesting one, because later on they tell him that uh, somebody has some dirt on him. Actually, I'd be very interested. And then John McCain says he'd like to get that dirt. <laughs> I, I thank you, Mr. Prime Minister. For the heads and, up. Um, I will look forward to them revealing how I <laughs> was brainwashed by, the, uh, by our North Vietnamese friends. <laughs> I, th- I thank you, Mr. Prime Minister, yes. and uh, I'd be very interested. Actually, I'd be very interested, uh, and maybe you could ask your ambassador to tell me more about that information. That's <laughs> uh, all fake. Uh, I'd be very interested. Hook, uh, brother okay. up. That'd be great. And we got a secret information from our security service that Russian and Putin personally are planning an, a series of hacker attacks on your servers or on your personal <laughs> oh, servers. God. And Putin has already issued an order to his personal hackers, Aberwalk and Slavic. They are already in the blacklist and they are under <laughs> sanction. And then his uh, special pranksters, Alexis and Vavan, uh, that they want to make attacks on your phone line 24 hours. So I, I just need to let you know that. I thank you very much for that information, and I will certainly uh, uh, be, be aware of it. <laughs> that's just, all right, so that's in there, and then... You know, it, that was pretty good, though. They got yeah, him, right? Yeah, yeah. But, well, it's easy if you have a good accent. That, yeah, and of course, uh, you figure, well, he, even if he got my phone line, if he got my phone number, he must be important, because uh, I'm so important, and I'm important enough that they'd want to talk to me. Of course. But if somebody was going to do a prank call, do you know who would do the best prank call? Hmm. Well, uh, oh, uh, Alec Baldwin probably as Trump. Nobody can do it like me. Nobody. Nobody can do it like me. Honestly. Nobody's stronger than me. Nobody has better toys than I do. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody builds walls better than me. Nobody's better to people with disabilities than me. Nobody's fighting for the veterans like I'm fighting for the veterans. There's nobody that's done so much for equality as I have. There's nobody more pro-Israel than I am. There's nobody more conservative than me. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. Nobody would be tougher on ISIS than Donald Trump. Nobody's ever had crowds like Trump has had. There's nobody that understands nobody. the horror of nuclear better than me. <laughs> it and, goes on, Chase. And nobody understands how awesome the show more than he does. Thank you for listening to the whole damn show. If you've made it this far, that wraps us up. The overtime was brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. And yeah, we'll see you back here next week. See ya.